0: Good night and good afternoon, and welcome to another excited episode of the Real Tennis Podcast. This is not about Harry Potter, so don't worry. The Back Cauldron will be coming out soon, nonetheless. But this is strictly about the world of sports, the world of tennis, and we have a special guest with us today. But before I introduce our special guest, let me introduce my co-hostesses with the most this is. And see whether they're still alive and doing well, particularly the one who has been MIA, claiming she doesn't read Harry Potter. Though, she has good reason to read it. Thank you, JK. Um, Andrine from Solely Tennis Travel, how are you doing today? <laughs> I'm doing very well.
1: I'm doing very well, actually. I can um, hear
0: that smart in your voice. <laughs> these bitches I'm, are reading that awful book series.
1: i don't. I'm I, I I I so good. I know. I'm happy to say I read one book and thought, absolutely not. Thank you very much. I'm <laughs> bouncing. <laughs>
0: no, she's just like, I am vindicated.
1: Yes. No, 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 not at all. Um, It's good to be back. It's good to be back talking sports with y'all. <laughs>
0: yes. And Janina, well, I see you all the time. Janina, how are you doing?
2: I'm fine, thanks. Thanks
0: for, you know, minimizing me. <laughs> okay, well, let me do that over again. Janina from far in Ohio. How are you doing? How is it going? <laughs> Everything is fine. Do you need for a passport to just leave the county?
2: Not quite, but almost. We're working on it. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> we have more pressing matters at the moment. In Ohio? Mm-hmm. Really? hmm
0: Really? Zip Wonder. it. And, of course, there is real... Right here, But, you know, I am hardly worth mentioning. We have a special guest with us today, like I mentioned at the top. We have Howard Bryant is here with us to discuss all things sports and culture and, of course, race. So let me not try to, you know, we can talk about the fact that Howard is on Weekend Edition on NPR. He has books. He's popular on Twitter. We see him sometime on ESPN, if I'm not mistaken. He follows tennis and baseball religiously. But, you know, Howard can tell us more about himself, need I go, get wrong? And he's just like, no, that's not me. you are confusing me in another black person That's all. Well. <laughs> <laughs> How well, are you doing, sir? I'm good. I'm good. And I am
3: thankful for being on this podcast because every time I listen to it, I realize it's the same thing. Two points. Number one, this is the laughingest of laughing podcasts. Y'all laugh more than any <laughs> podcast, than any... All the podcasts combined. I'm like, they have fun. I like that podcast. We
0: they genuinely like each other. That's what it is. That's the secret. Mm-hmm. We genuinely like each other. Mm-hmm. This isn't Hoda and, and um what's Cathy Lee? This isn't <laughs> <my family. laughs> We don't and do that here. Three,
3: right? <laughs> and point number two is that I was like, I know I'm gonna never go on that podcast because I am I would be going into hostile territory because this is a Rafael Nadal house. <laughs> and I'm like I was like, they ain't never gonna call me to come on the podcast <laughs> We got babble at rackets in this house we got Cut it tags. out My my son is in the Dow, dude And so, and of course, I was like I'll, They won't ever call me So be kind, kinda right? <laughs>
0: No, hey, I'm questioning your parenting skills We're not here to discuss that <laughs> so Lucky <the> you <laughs> it. <forgiven. laughs>
1: Mm-hmm. i love that i love that this is the federal effect yes it is the right well
0: you know i i would say that my best friend is a nadal fan so i know how to negotiate with enemies so right, right.
3: well you know though i gotta say though i've been thinking about that that border war when you look at the last couple of labor cups and stuff they want that crushed right it's like no 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 we family everybody okay we fam now it, it, all the all the battles are over. All the rivalries over now. It's like it's like they're like frenemies now. So every time I watch it, like you watch Nadal jump into Federer's arms after that doubles match, and I'm like, H- how are the how are the partisans dealing with this right now?
0: There is a common there's a common enemy, Johnny. <laughs> exactly. So, uh, exactly
3: right. and oh,
0: Jack So you know well, the you know, enemy the... of my enemy is my friend. So well, we That's it's right.
1: And the truth is, obviously, we would not invite you on unless the world was ending. And, right. and so, apparently, the world is ending for quite a lot of people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, Just so you know, if the world were not to collapse, we wouldn't have called you. Okay, good to know. I know. I, I want you all to know this, that we are acknowledging that the world is ending, and this is why we have to have this fabulous podcast with Howard, because Howard has been sussing out the world particularly the world of sports and all the things that it means for the world to end when athletes
0: protest. (laughs) So with that being said, just for you know, fans who I know listen all the time, it has to be the second coming of Christ in the new world when we will bring you on the podcast, just so you know, just so we're clear, okay? (laughs) The world is ending, the doubt can get on. The second coming in the new world, that's where you can come on.
3: I will say I have a couple of of Nole people who send me DMs when things get too tough. Why are they doing this to him? I'm like, I don't know why you DMing me. Why are they <laughs> doing you do this to him? You <laughs> get the child? You know, Did at you least he didn't tired. say he was drinking bleach. What's he doing? Oh, I know. I know. Oh, gosh, that's brutal. They're out of control. He's, He's the Detroit Pistons. People. What you gonna do? You know. What? I mean, <laughs> he is the. He is the Detroit. He ruined bird and magic. He's the Detroit Distance.
2: He's Isaiah Thomas. He's never getting the love that he's. From. Never, and I'm and it fine with never that. <laughs> I am 100% fine with that.
1: That bodes well for our Olympic, our Olympic hopes as well. So, um, Howard, <laughs> yeah. we are happy to talk to you about the world ending right now because it has been, flame, I'd say, for the last couple weeks. And um, we want to just talk to you a little bit about sort of think the 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 protests, um, George Floyd. And Colin Kaepernick, which I now feel as if has come in center, right, for sports, right. That is the person that we can we can, we have to sort of use as a reflection point for mm-hmm. this moment. Um, talk to us a little bit about sort of um, how you perceive this moment from a sports. Well, sports
3: I'm two. thinking I'm thinking about renaming Colin. I'm thinking about just calling him Obi Wan from now <laughs> on because. I mean, it really is true when you think about it. You know, if you strike me down, I shall grow more powerful than you can possibly imagine, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, the number of people over the last few years, and I will be candid and say the number of people in our business who are making the decisions, who control the camera and control the pens and control what we see and what we hear, who privately are like, okay, well, let's all collude together to not talk about Colin Kaepernick. And this is actually black people in the business, too, who are tired of Colin Kaepernick, who have said, you know what, if we don't write about him or if we don't talk about him, he'll just go away. But guess what? He's not going anywhere. He hasn't thrown a football since January 1st, 2017, and he's still at the center of the culture. And the, the reason he's at the center of the culture is because he's really been the only person over the past three and a half years involved in this who has stuck to one thing, and that is the truth about where black people are in this country and you know, in that business. And everybody else has been trying to find some way to play both sides. And we're certainly seeing that right now where all of a sudden everybody cares about black lives. And you see it especially with the NFL of all places where here's a business that constructed its entire business model on destroying Colin Kaepernick On propping up police, and and on telling you as that Black Lives didn't matter because they spent all of their time pandering to white fans, and all of a sudden now you see the commissioner Roger Goodell out there on Friday looking in a camera, telling you that Black Lives Matter to the National Football League, but never
2: once mentioned Colin Kaepernick. But
3: (laughs) never once mentioning Colin Kaepernick's name, and. And also never once mentioning not just police brutality, which he did, he mentioned our sympathies and hearts go out to the victims of police brutality, but also not saying it's unacceptable and it's going to affect our relationship with them. So once again, it's like, you know, sorry that you had to attend a funeral, you know, but this is how it is. And so Kaepernick to me is the guy who's in the center of all of this, who was true. And as we keep seeing, you can't, you know, people want that. People want to see somebody who's willing to stand up. You have worked with him
2: throughout this. You you followed it closely. So you, you just said that people in the industry, including black people, were just tired of him. Are they just tired of having to face the truth? What does that mean? They're tired of
3: especially Black people. Um, Why? That makes no sense. I think what it is, is that, you know, when I was working on my book, The Heritage, a couple years ago, one of the points that just kept coming out of it, and it came out in in the the new book I did, Full visitance in in January. um, There's a chapter in that book called The Worst Thing in the World. And it's all about Black people having to navigate this world of whiteness. And there's this thing you know in our business I don't even think it's necessarily you know the pressure usually comes from from the underclass they're the ones who always get it the worst the le- least amount of money you have the worst the worst you have it in the country but in this episode in this sort of in this sort of area you see that sort of anti black pressure coming from the black people who have the most in the business because they're constantly trying to accommodate they're constantly trying to figure out you know how to keep their jobs in you know, being the only black person in the newsroom or being the only black person in the boardroom or whatever. And so that attitude that I've sensed when it came to dealing with Kaepernick was this idea that he you know he's messing it up for the rest of us. And that that he needed to he needed to kneel. He needed, well metaphorically kneel in the other direction. He needed to to relent. He needed to say he was sorry. And I would always say say sorry for what? What did he do that he would be apologizing for? And that he was the problem. People view him, who are in the business, they view, like especially, not to cut my own self off, but especially during that tryout he had in Atlanta, right? The mm-hmm. number of brothers who got mad because he had a Kunta Kinte shirt on. They're like, why is he poking the bear? They're trying to give him an opportunity. He don't. He's not serious, you know, that they're looking at him like, okay, he's the problem here and that at some level, if you're going to be in a corporate environment, there's a certain level of submission that you have to engage in. And because he's not willing to do that, they get mad at him.
0: So you're speaking specifically about black people with "quote unquote" some level of privilege
3: and power under power. Yeah,
0: and power. yeah absolutely.
1: Yeah, I Which mean, in it- some way, is an illusory power, right? Because that's <laughs> what they're that's what they're admitting. In, in even their um, challenge and with Kaepernick is that they are admitting that in order for them to participate in this space, they have to um, do deal with kind of what the tension that Martin Luther King says, right? You're getting peace, but it's, it's, it's not one that's coming from justice.
3: Yes, absolutely. It always reminds me of that Richard Pryor routine where he does the I spy cops about how the black cops gotta beat up more Negroes to keep his job. <laughs> you know, yeah. and it's it's that type of thing in a lot of ways that so you're I mean, you're absolutely right that that this can get taken all away. Why are you messing it up for everybody?
0: But I imagine that they think that there is some um, within that space. Right. Because I, I don't want it to be confused. but at least I don't think this is what you're saying, but I don't imagine that they are the problem. Right. They might be part of the problem that uh, these black journalists per se because they're operating within a larger white dominant culture power structure that wishes not for people like Colin Kaepernick to upset status quo. But I'm curious that if you, in your interaction with these journalists um, who are making this, you know, comment, you know, Colin should just relent, you know, do they envision a space or a time perhaps or a plan where things can be better or much more equal? Or they just imagine that they they're only hoping to operate within this system. They have given up for themselves to capitalism and being like, capitalism is the way. We just have to try to get a seat at the table.
3: Yeah, I think it's I think it's that real. I think it's the I think it's the latter. I think it's that this is what it is. This is how it works. And you know, you're not going to overthrow the system. You're not going to overturn it. It's not going anywhere. So you better learn how to navigate what's in it. And what's in it is money. You know, you'll have your job. You'll have you'll get compensated, but don't expect to be more than one name on the masthead or one or two people in the room. The rest of that stuff's not going to happen. And I think that what ends up happening when you take that attitude is it's a a self-protection to a lot of degree, but I think it's also something else. It's sort of the, it's the almost a surrender, the recognition that this is as good as it's going to get.
2: So do you think that Colin Kaepernick misunderstood what he was doing in, in terms of the space that he was working in, or was he knowingly um, going to protest that, knowing that he's screwing up his brand and that all of this could go away, or you did mean he really think or now? at the beginning?
3: Um, it's a good question. I think at the beginning, did anybody know it was going to come off the way that it did? I, I've asked him this several times, and most times he'll say, "Yeah, I knew the risk." I mean, did you know? You knew they were going to come at you. Did you know they were going to take everything? And he said he he said he knew that. And I remember immediately when this happened, there had been conversations. Immediately, the conversation was, can we suspend him? Suspend him for what? I mean, so immediately the entire framework of Kaepernick had been punishment. It wasn't understanding. It wasn't, well, you know, he's going to do what he does, but it's within the bylaws of the NFL. Because it was. I mean, there were no there were no rules against this. The NBA has a specific rule that you have to stand for the national anthem. The NFL did. not And so even within that framework, even though he was within his rights to do everything he did, the immediate reaction was. What what level can we punish him? And so he knew something was going to come down. Did he think that they were going to shut him down? for the rest of his life? I still don't think so. However, no, in the next, mm-hmm, I'm sorry, Rose. go ahead.
0: No, I was about to say, um, no, no, you finish your thought, and then I'll add my page.
3: I was thinking then the next summer when he and I were in New York, I was asking him, well, now that we know, and this was right around the time where there had been talks about whether or not he was gonna sign with Baltimore, or whether Seattle was gonna look at him. This was in the summer of 2017 now that you know that they're willing to cut everything off do you feel like you need to adjust and his attitude was no i don't i think he recognized by that point he had gone down this road and if he apologized or if he maybe i should have handled this a different way it just wasn't going to work it you know how did how do you say i'm sorry for being right or i'm sorry for standing up and this is the this is that framework of the enormous punishment of blackness that you get. When you advocate for black people, this these industries, especially the sports industry, has made it very, very clear what they'll do to you. I mean, there's I mean, an argument you could clearly make that if, if he had said in 2017, yeah, you know, I apologize for anybody who was offended I didn't recognize that the flag was so important in this way. I'm going to protest a different way. Maybe he's in the league. I don't know. Mm -hmm.
1: Mm -hmm. You know what? That's a a fair question, though, because I think, um, I think, sorry, Rails, um, there's this moment where there seems to have been an opportunity for him to have um, to have a compromise. Right. Um, In terms of what Jay-Z Supposedly offered and entered into the space like I'm 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 a I'm a an away point between you and Kaepernick, right? And then also people perceiving that Kaepernick having settled for an undisclosed amount was an admission of something. How do you yeah. perceive those two things?
3: Yeah, yeah, I'm a, I'll be quick on that, and then I know Reels has been trying to get in three yep. times on this. No,
0: it's um, fine. It's fine.
3: <laughs> I'm I was gonna say that um yeah there was definitely a compromise point. But what are you compromising? Right. I mean, if you are a human being and you're looking in the mirror and you know you are correct, what are you actually what are you saying sorry for? I mean, that was I think that was Colin's big thing. Apologize for what? And then people would make the argument. Well, you know, y'all let Michael Vick in. Michael Vick was killing animals. Oh, y'all let, you know, you know. Y'all, you know, y'all at Leonard Little back at me. Leonard Little killed somebody. And Colin was very offended, and rightfully so. Why are you putting me in that category? And I think those conversations, especially when they came from his own union, just kept hardening and hardening his resolve, where he was like, you know what, I ain't compromising at all. You will take me as I am, or you will not take me.
0: But... I mean, I have to say that, you know, one thing I have been impressed by Colin Kaepernick anytime he spoke or anytime he did not speak, um, is the fact that he was grounded in scholarship and 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 history. He did the mm-hmm. reading because mm-hmm. historically he he had to have known by any measure, even on a macro on a micro level, that even if we're not even talking about sports sports league. Like, if you think, for example, uh, Muhammad Ali, um, if you go beyond, like, Voting Rights Act, like, and Fannie Lou Hamer, when she decided to register to vote, the man who owned the plantation, and it was a plantation, told her, you need to go withdraw your name for Mm -hmm. registering to vote. Mm -hmm. And maybe, Mm -hmm. and even if you register your, even if you remove your name, I can't even guarantee that I would let you stay on the plantation. You need to get your stuff and leave immediately. That's Nothing right. is guaranteed for you. What? Because I think he understood, because with Michael Vick and Lennon, they were trying to, they had an incident. What Colin Kaepernick was asking the league or asking the world to do was move philosophically That's to right. change an status quo and ideology. They were not going to let, he's not going to be allowed, because at this point, it is beyond it is, it is political. It is personal. You do not get an affront to the white, white system like this at all. No one, very few, has ever bucked this trend in this manner and been able to go back to wherever they were. They never get back their position. They're never allowed to thrive within that previous institution. You got to go and find your own place. That's so right. Just, and that
3: is the reason. And that is 100% right the reason why people love Muhammad so much because he's the only one to do it he's like no y'all took three and a half years from me and he became champion again he got it back he got to be made whole nobody else gets to be made whole and and even in being made whole he still lost those three years to the point where people go imagine what he would have been if you hadn't taken those three years from him a hundred percent and I think that like even when people talk about the settlement there were people who were like, "Oh man, he's got to donate that money to charity." Like, what that that his admission taking the money somehow undermined the movement. I was like, "No, those were back wages. That money is his." I don't see. I didn't see that as as him admitting. I mean, maybe I thought it was an admission that the NFL, when they settled with him, that they knew they were colluding against him. Mm-hmm. I didn't think that when he accepted the the settlement money. That that was some some sort of sellout on his part, even though I know he was criticized for that. I thought that I thought that was way out of bounds. I didn't think that was fair at all.
2: So why do you think that athletes well look at LeBron James? He speaks out often. He doesn't get this pushback. Why right. is he
3: able to do this? Because he's the best player in the world. I is mean it, I think it's it, that I think just it's it? a few reasons. I think sometimes, I mean Let's face it. If Colin Kaepernick does this in 2013 when he's a Super Bowl quarterback, do you just throw him in the garbage? Now, this is a talent game, too. It it was easier to do this to him because he was in in a vulnerable position. He was in a disadvantageous position. LeBron James has never been in a disadvantageous position on this subject in his career. Let's also remember that LeBron didn't speak out on any sort of political issue until 2012, until Trayvon. Right. He'd, already been in the, he'd already been in the league 10 years. that was his tenth season so he was already legend he'd already been in the finals twice and so you know it's not like he was in, he was in a spot where he was vulnerable.
0: He's not a rookie
3: and he's also signed a 90 million dollar shoe contract before he even made his first basket so he has mm-hmm. been very well insulated from everything that we're talking about. It's not to undermine what he did and to say that makes it less important, but it does say that when you've got that level of power and you've got that level of influence and you've got that level. I mean, who's gonna cut LeBron James? Right. I mean you know what, LeBron James you know, LeBron James, what does LeBron James have to do right now for the league to say, Yeah, we don't need you anymore? Right.
0: And if you know, they do, president. he's fine. He's Run fine. Run for president. But you know, I bet well, you that's it. Run for president.
1: Yeah, I so that so that actually, I mean, that actually leads us into a really interesting space that we wanted to explore with you, which is, like, what can athletes who are perceived as at their best, or as you suggested, even with Apenick, vulnerable, do they have space for protests?
3: Well, I think that, yeah, I think that's the flip side of the coin that I keep trying to concentrate on, which is why is the sanction so damn high? Why, why, is this the, why is this the structure in the first place, right? We talk about sports being a meritocracy. We talk about people using their voice, and especially when you talk about money, black athletes are the only people in the world, in the American world at least, where when you have money, people want to hear less from you. The more money you have, the more people want to hear from you. I mean, why are, we, why are we talking about Mark Cuban or Oprah or whomever being a, a presidential candidate? Because they're rich. But when it comes to black athletes with money, it's like, oh, well, what's going to be the price if you talk? And so I've always sort of wrestled with why is this the structure? And obviously the reason is, is that, you know, this is a it's it's a lie. It's a racist ass game. It's always been that way. But because the players make so much because the players make so much money, I think we overestimate the value of money in this regard.
0: But I think we're also we're underestimating that money in of itself because oprah and mark cuban right they make their money that money yes. is there for an athlete if lebron is signing if making 90 million dollars for nike nike is obviously making five six times that amount that they're That's paying, right. paying him because 90 million dollars is a salary so as much yes, as a big you know earning
3: and being in between right. earning and, and, and
0: receiving. And, and, and receiving, right? Because mm-hmm. he's not, because LeBron isn't Nike, not with Michael Jordan. They're a big marketing factor. But at the end of the day, Nike is still making the lion's shares of the money. So that is why there is a, because that $90 million is a is a gambler, is a wager, right? What is That's the least, right. we, have, we have to think of that money as the least amount X companies think that they can pay in order mm-hmm. to make the profit margin, and I can pay one person, but there's right. a million other people that they still have to pay, and you know, etc. etc. So, th- I, I always find that people sort of look at oh, he got 90 million dollars, he didn't get Nike, Nike didn't That's hand right. over the keys to look around. <laughs> he like you sound, sound like good. you sound like Craig Hodges. Craig Hodges was saying to Michael Jordan in
3: 1991,
0: Become Nike,
3: you're Michael Jordan now, believe me. If you just compete with Nike, and Michael's like, yeah, no, no, that's not. I
0: it. read his book, yeah. Craig Hodges and I are on the same page, and well, we feel about Michael too. Hey. No, that's another podcast. Well,
3: You can make it a little bit this one. I will tell you right now, I have had a 4,200 word opus that's been sitting on the runway. I'm waiting for ESPN to actually run it on The Last Dance. Yep. And I talked to Mike Tolan, the the uh, executive producer of that of the documentary, and I said to him, I was like, "Hey, Mike, I got two questions for you. Really, I mean, we can talk about more, but I really do have two questions for you. Number one, who made the decision that there were gonna be essentially no wives and no girlfriends of any player in there, except Carmen Electra? And <laughs> where was Craig Hodges?
4: Mm-hmm.
3: And he said." That we decided that when we were constructing the documentary, we had to make a decision as to whether this was going to be a workplace documentary or a domestic documentary. We decided it was a domestic documentary, and we concluded that the wives and that the women in the story did not advance it. I was like, wow, Damn.
2: Oof.
1: oof, ouch,
2: wow.
1: Right. I tell that to the wives watching the babies or doing their own jobs. And I, it's happy I'm
3: like, I'm you didn't tell the me.
0: Secret. That,
3: you're gonna tell exactly. you gonna tell me that that Juanita Jordan had nothing to add after her husband comes home after Bill Lambier was beaten on him for seven games. You don't think she has a little some in, insight to this? Um, I didn't love that. I thought that was a big hole in the doc. And then I, when it came to when it came to Hodges, Mike just said to me, "We had a list of 105 people, including Michael. We interviewed 106 people for this documentary. That was the list was three times that." And, you know, we just didn't get it done with Craig.
0: It just sort of slipped Craig the cracks. And Craig didn't make the list? Because he didn't and, gonna uh, talk oh, to talk about said, that. <laughs> <laughs> they really not how
1: the list is constructed, right? Well, <laughs> they, mean, said,
3: yeah, they said Craig made the list, but they didn't get to him. And I was like, that's mm, – that's that,
0: cool. that didn't really work for me. <laughs> Listen to me. If you ask me, you needed to talk to Craig before you talked to Scotty. Just saying. Uh-huh. Just saying. <laughs> because well, – you know, we know what Scotty was going to say. We know what Scotty will say. What would have made great theater was what Craig would have said. But mm-hmm. you know, but mm-hmm. he has a book out, folks. You can read that book, and no one has said the book is give a the, lie.
1: Give the give the context of who Craig is, please, for folks who may not be. Oh, so Craig
0: um, Craig Hodges was. Um, I'm sure Howard probably would add more to it. I, I'm gonna go do a little research to find the name of his book exactly. So he was it's on. Long shot. Long shot. He was literally on the bulls when um, Michael Jordan was being Michael Jordan. And Michael Jordan basically got rid of Hodges because Hodges decided that he wanted to have a much more active and politically um, stronger tea political um, union. in, both well, that, you know, the players who are making up, particularly black and brown players who are making up the entire league, should have had more say. In the politics, but yeah. you know, he made it very, yeah. he made it yeah. very clear that Michael it. was a company man, and yeah. Michael, and Michael was one of those company men. Let me put this: Michael was being a Karen. You know that Karen who would go to HR and will tell you that she would pretend that she would go to HR, file a complaint, and come and sit down and I'd be like, "Oh, okay."
3: But <laughs> well, you know, but you know, but it is. So, so Craig, is a, I was, I was going to add one other thing on Craig. Craig was. He was a big union guy, but also what he really was in the late, 90s, early, you know, sorry, late '80s, early '90s. He was starting to see, especially after New York and Bensonhurst and Howard Beach and all that stuff, that black people needed some advocacy. And when they, you know, when the Bulls won the championship in '91, he went to the White House wearing a dashiki, <laughs> and everybody lost it. They were like, "What? What you doing?" And he wore a dashiki, and he. In addition to talking to Michael, because '91 was right was when they won the championship. It was right after Rodney King was beaten. Yep. Asked asked Michael to get involved. Michael wouldn't get involved. And and on top of that, um, he went to the White House and he handed George Bush a letter saying, "You need to be more responsive to black people." And the Bulls took that as an, as an insult to the White House. And he never played again after the next season. Yeah. Man, and, I mean, thereby thereby
1: showing Colin Kaepernick the pathway that was going to be for him. And,
3: and, exactly, that's what's so going to
0: happen. beyond, according to Craig, it extended beyond him. He and um that guy um oh my God he plays on the Golden State now. You know Steph Curry. Steph Curry.
3: He mm-hmm. and Steph
0: Curry, father, his son, and Steph Curry, um are around the same age. And yep. they basically blocked his son from even, even getting a shot at. Wow. So it went uh, lineage. It yes. Yep.
3: could so a legacy gift.
0: here. Yep. We're
3: going to get your generations too.
1: Yeah. I mean, but this is, but see, this is this is sort of like the through line, right? We're talking yep. about like legacy and people who move through privilege and then also the ones who are disadvantaged and what that looks like. If you make the wrong choice, which now brings us back to why there's so much nervousness, right? Nervousness. Sorry. From the behind the scenes with the journalists and everyone, sort of, what are you doing? You know how this plays out. You know how it works exactly, yep.
3: and that's why I always say to people, the Heritage is not a club you want to join. This isn't <laughs> something that you're like, yeah, let's go do this. You really think, tell you, you go go hang out with with, with John Carlos, and it'll, <laughs> you'll have the you'll have the time of your life, but you'll walk out of there going, did you make the right call, John? Right? Because his life was ruined.
1: Yeah, by what know, I, he did. Yeah, so by these stark contrasts, now I think it makes sense for us to like, let's ask the question about the sport that we started with, tennis. How does this play out in tennis?
3: It's a great question. It's a great question for a couple of, for a bunch of reasons. Number one, the biggest reason is that it's an individual sport. Mm -hmm. So when we always talk about, like when I was finishing The Heritage, like one of the questions that, one of the biggest holes in that book that really bothered me was the fact that there were ne- not nearly enough women in there. but then when you start making that list of okay, how many women were in that position to really 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 do something, most of the women, especially the black women because t- you know female team sports is not, you know it's not as big here um, they're all t- they're all individuals and so the first thing that they do, as an individual is going to come for your money endorsement wise no more wheaties no more nike no more this no more that so you realize that in tennis you're vulnerable because one how many players are really going to be able to make it on prize money alone i mean even even the best of the best tennis players once you start slipping out of the top 10 top 20 top 25 your your numbers are changing, so you need those endorsements that you get when you get into the top ten or when you win a major or something like that. So your money as a black woman is way more vulnerable. Um, as a black man, way well, you no know, black men in the game anyway in America. So you have to look at the songas and the Monteses and the you know the, the the other guys who are out there, um, you know outside of the United States. But the real question when it comes to tennis is is protecting your money because you don't necessarily have a salary, and then the second thing, of course, is the culture, especially, especially if you look at it from an American male standpoint. I mean, tennis is a pretty on the on the ATP side, the USTA side, it can be pretty red in the, on the player <laughs> side, even though even though Katrina's down, you know, even though you know you got Martin and you have got you know some of the other guys who who may have. Um, politics that are a bit more favorable when you look at the actual players it probably is a pretty hostile environment i would guess
2: maga all the way <laughs> i think so i mean and
3: and, that's, and it's not that it's not true like that on the women too looking at coco vanderway and the rest of them I mean, you know what the the um the politics of those players is going to really dictate it's a lonely sport anyway, right? So how do you choose to navigate it, make it becoming even lonelier once everybody knows what you're all about?
0: And it's right? an expensive sport, too.
3: Yeah, and it's expensive.
0: And it's, 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 it's to maintain the cost if you're only going to go by salary. Because a lot of times, if you look at Roger Federer's um, you know, wealth, considered to be one of the richest athletes in the world, and Serena, and you look at their prize money to endorsement ratio as opposed to a football player, as in soccer player, you would notice that the money that the soccer player is making is largely from his salary. His wealth is based on his salary. But the tennis player, their wealth is based solely on their their prize, on their endorsements. Because look, Roger Federer didn't win a a major for five years, and that would would have been his biggest payday, right, from 2012 to 2017, he wasn't collecting that big, you know, like multi-million dollar prize money check. And there's only four of those a year. If you're that, yeah. if you can maintain that, you know, trend, and then taxes take that, you know, you don't really make a lot of money. No. Uh, now,
3: when you look at those guys and you say, and also, if you're gonna be, if you're gonna find your way around it money wise, like if you're not gonna be a great player. I mean, Federer is obviously a great player, but if you're not a great player, then you're on the hustle. You're playing you're playing 80 tournaments a year to sort of, to, to make some money. Right. And so when you're looking, if you're like Roger, or if you're Serena or somebody like that, you're going to play, I mean, what did Serena play a couple of years ago? She played what, nine tournaments, eight tournaments, something like that. I mean, so mm-hmm. there's, there's no question, obviously at her level, she's, you know, money's not an issue for her, but in terms of your ability to really say something or to be something bigger, uh, to say something that is going to even remotely be polarizing. It's going to offend the majority. You better you better be bringing it. You better be a top three, top four player who's winning majors constantly because I don't think that you've got the insulation that you have in a team sport where the salary, you know, you're bringing in $30 million as a salary. You've got way more protection than if you're relying on T-Mobile to give you endorsement money because they're going to yank that the minute people get mad at you.
0: Yep. In fact, if they so can't I don't know how much I
3: feel about that. I was going to say, so I, I, I try to back off when it comes to those individual players. Like I know that we spend a lot of time because tennis is one of our sports. It's one of the sports we care about. And one of the things that bothers me most about tennis, or at least about tennis coverage is when you go to a major or when you go to a tournament, there's a lot of black people attending those, attending those matches. Black Mm -hmm. people love tennis and you, it doesn't get treated that way. But because of that, there's also, especially in the WTA side, black women are going to dominate this sport over the next 10, 15 years. There's no doubt in my mind about that, just in terms of volume of player and who's actually playing. And now that the sport is more available than it's ever been. So there's going to be questions. I mean, I think, I don't remember, was it you, Reels, who came in on that? It came in at my uh, my ESPN colleague Chrissy Everett when she made that mm-hmm. she made that yeah. tweet about yeah,
0: of course, Coco
3: Gauff's yeah. a leader. She's a teenager. They can put that on her right now. And
1: so you me. know this is the thing though, Howard. This is the thing though, Howard. To his point, It's like, yes, she is. We we're talking about people who have security in tennis, yes. right? And this is the challenge for me. Is like, okay, fine. You want to make it about the teenagers, and we can talk about that a little bit later. But we're talking about security and we're talking about the insularity of tennis.
0: Mm-hmm. And so the
1: onus here is actually much more powerfully so on the commentators and the people oh, who have oh, some, no some, you know, some capacity to feel like they're, they're, um, their legacy is secure.
3: Yeah, and who's doing the shaping? They're the yeah. ones doing the shaping. I mean, I think that one of the hardest things, I mean, tennis is a, all the sports are going in this direction, right? I mean, there's very little journalism in sports and in, in sports broadcasting anymore it's all it's commentator ex-player commentator ex-player commentator as ex-player ex-player as commentator so even when you even when you get into those in-between set panels now the people who are getting on those panels as well those are coaches like Patrick i mean the conflicts of interest in tennis it's such a club i mean they don't want to admit it but it's such a club that you're not really going to get that much independence in there and so the pressure, the pressure on players, I mean, I'm, I'm just formulating this, so don't hold me to it, even though I'm being recorded right now, but <laughs> I'm, I'm still wondering where the tennis player fits, because when you think about how the structure of tennis works, they may be the most vulnerable, even though I loved, you know, I, I, I love Francis's uh, video that they did on Instagram the other day, I thought that was great, I mean, I, I got all inspired looking at that, right? I was like, where's Felix? But, okay, maybe he had a cold. Maybe he was busy that day. I hope he didn't Where's Venus?
0: You know. Where's oh.
3: Venus? <laughs> well, where's Venus, right?
0: I know where she is, but. though. She's collecting that paper. She's collecting those coins. <laughs> she got gonna, a new deal in Fox, right? That's, That's Fox. Right.
3: She, she, she probably could on show herself right at right
0: CBC, CBC, CBS, mm-hmm. but she's at Fox, so... you are going to see Venus for a while.
3: So, so yeah, so I, I thought that was great. I think what you're going to need... I'm, I, I liken... Tennis a little bit to baseball in the 1940s, 50s, and 60s, where what's going to have to happen with the tennis players is what happened with those brothers back then, where they had to stick together. They played against each other, they beat the hell out of each other, but they stuck together because they knew how hostile it was and they knew how lonely it was, and they knew that they knew in a lot of ways they only had each other. And so when I saw that video, that's exactly what it reminded me of. And that's what I was hopeful about, because let's be honest, I mean,
1: in many ways, some people who end up in tennis are like some people who end up in corporate America, right? Where you're the one, the only. Mm-hmm. And there's some, there's some personality and coping mechanisms there, right? I'm <laughs> being mm-hmm. generous. But maybe mm-hmm. you think you're special. Maybe you think you're exceptional. Well, you know you're special, And right? you know you're special, but you don't believe that you belong to a group, right? That's, That's right. what was noteworthy right. about the Francis video is that we are all acknowledging together that we're black people. That's Which, right. You know it's frightening for people to sort of say,
3: oh no, no, individual,
1: you're an individual.
3: You're well, human. once again, well, once again, where was Maddie Keyes in there, right? Well. And so, and once but, again, when you, go ahead, I'm sorry. No, 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 sorry, go ahead. No, no, I'm listening. I want to hear what you are say.
0: No, I, I mean, we, we, it is that sort of a issue, right, because it goes back to the individual and also what do they think they have to lose as an individual because it's not a group, right? The group isn't going to be burdened with this situation, right? It's going to come down because my endorsement deal is my endorsement need only, right? Kayla Townsend doesn't feel the effect when I, I'm dropped, perhaps. You know, so I get that's part of what it is. But so are you saying, sorry, go ahead. I
2: I don't know that that's the reason Madison Keyes isn't there, though. I don't know that she yet identifies as a black woman. And that's that's really why I think she's missing. 100%.
3: 100%. She does not identify as a black woman. I I don't know if you ever saw LZ's piece on her. That's Mm -hmm. the, the thing. Who do you want to play you? In a movie. Julia, Julia Roberts. Roberts. <laughs> For real? Jesus, help me. Right? For real? You know? Um, so I'm not, you know, I'm not black or white. I'm just me. I'm just Maddie. I'm like, well, and once again, and I say to people all the time, it is, if that's who you are, then you go and do you. Mm-hmm. But don't tell me that a choice isn't being made here. Yep. That's all. Just well, acknowledge that you're making
1: a choice. Well, there's a choice, though, isn't? because there was a time. Didn't you – couldn't we make the same parallel with um, James Blake? How did that turn out?
3: Well, James Blake is the same thing that Harry Edwards said about Tiger Woods. He said, when Tiger got that DUI, that arrest report didn't say Cablan Asian, did it?
0: <laughs> <laughs> we shouldn't no, laugh, but <laughs> – I mean, but it's one of those. I mean, sometimes I feel sympathy for these people, but it's when I go back to someone like Colin Kaepernick, right? It's just like I think in, in, in spaces like that, right? I mean, because NFL is a hostile environment, right? There is no doubt in my mind, though it's an NBA and MLB, though it's quite clear that those those sports and industries are dominated by people of color, black men in particular. They're clearly, they get the message that to realize, you know, you are the worker, okay, sir? You That's right. don't imagine that you are, you, are the, you are the brand here. You know, you have a place and you would stick to that place. But Colin did the work, you know what I mean? Right. And he did the research and he did the reading. And because you can't, because this is the thing that bothers me, that you can't tell me you don't feel the microaggression At the very least, when you go into certain spaces, you can't tell me that you don't feel the microaggression. It wasn't by accident yeah. that um, Lindsay Davenport, Jennifer Capriati, and Martina Hingis back in the day felt comfortable sitting in front of a press conference and saying they were getting endorsement deals because they were black. They didn't mm-hmm. sugarcoat that. They didn't even try to use euphemism. They were very yeah. clear in what they were saying, and mm-hmm. how they thought it was a ton of unfair to whatever the case may be. They weren't looking at the magic. They, they weren't looking at the the the. Um, how the, the the Madison Avenue plays plays out, but meanwhile we're gonna turn around and see, call Maria Sharapova, Serena's rival, and be like, and not not question, how is it she getting all the endorsement deal, and the number one player out here is out here struggling to get a proper deal altogether. Mm-hmm. We had to wait till mm-hmm. Maria was, we found out she was you know nipping in the little old P D bag you know and getting a little <laughs> extra spinach boost. A little meldonium, right? Yeah. So yeah, and you know, you know what? Mm-hmm, go ahead. So, so I, I find it you, it's rather odd in in a lot of these spaces that you know that the athletes themselves, but you know, are not aware of what's actually going going on. But maybe it's a coping mechanism. You yeah, know I mean, I think lot they lot are of, aware cope.
3: of it. I think they are aware of it, and I think it is I think it is one hundred percent a coping mechanism, especially when you think about where where do we come from, right? If you're one of those people. And I used to have this argument all the time about about Barack Obama. We used to talk about this constantly, going back and forth about this, about, you know, where you fit. You spend a lot of time as the only black person in class, or if you grow up in the suburbs, if you grow up around white people. After a while, you do start to believe, if, if, if you're not centered, that you're different, or that you're the bridge, or... Mm-hmm. Or that it's your responsibility as a minority to accommodate them, to not ask enough questions and to not demand enough things. Because if you demand too much, then you're going to be isolated, right? If you grew up the way I grew up, down like in Cape Cod, when we left Boston, we moved down to the Cape. There, I went a black family for miles, right? I mean, what could you possibly realistically ask for without running the risk of not having any friends? Who were you going to talk to? So people in those situations spend a lot of time accommodating for survival now the question is once you don't have to do that anymore what are you going to do are you going to keep accommodating or are you going to branch out on your own and find out who you are and i think it's important because colin with white parents adopted the whole thing he could have made a different choice Mm -hmm. so when reels is talking about actually doing the reading he made a choice too and the choice was i'm not accommodating i am making my call I'm black. And the number of people who tried to undermine Colin when he first took his knee and said, well, I went to college with Colin. He was never like that. I'm like, yeah, because he was doing the reading. And once he did the once he did the reading, he sort of recognized, I don't belong on this side. This isn't who I am. And, but so, you know, mm-hmm. and so, I think being in tennis, adopted,
0: Being adopted, I know that they were constantly going to make him feel like, you know, you should be grateful that white people took right. you in. That these mm-hmm. people are not your parents. They're your benefactors. They saved your life. That's right. So that was thrown in his face initially. Lots
3: of pressure. I remember dating this black woman when I was in college, and she had white parents because she was adopted, and they told her point blank, if you try looking for your natural family, we forbid it. I was like, what? Like, Because I said, that's got to be out of fear because they know if – She finds out who she is. Maybe she's not going to need you as much anymore. I don't know. But that was those pressures are exactly real. And they're especially real in particularly or overwhelmingly white spaces. I mean, if you're going to be a black tennis player and and you have elite world class ability, I mean, in a lot of ways, unless, you know, unless unless you're going to call Kamal Murray or have Donald Young's parents, you know, you're not going to have a lot of black people in the sport.
1: And you know how that is characterized. I mean, I think if you think about the broader language around even um, Kamau and um, and Donald, is that mm-hmm. the reason for their the reason for their players um, lack of success? That's right. Is, is well, somehow exactly. it's essentialist in some way? It's because they have stuck with in a weird way they stuck mm-hmm. with the black side,
3: right? Exactly. You stuck People with blackness. See. You paid for blackness. Yep. And that, especially in tennis that there's something about being black historically in the game. You can't possibly know as much as the white people in this sport know. You can't possibly have sure. strong enough development. And then if you you know, go with good to be great or something like that, that you have to go in that direction. I mean, I I find it fascinating and I watch it very closely. Don't have enough information yet, but just sort of keep adding to it and taking notes what Coco's game is going to be under the... Federer Empire, where she goes, how that manifests, what that looks like, because as much as as much as Roger has a connection with black people, obviously, on his mother's side and the whole South Africa thing and his African connections and all of that, I'm still very interested in finding out how that manifests in having a prodigy or having a a uh, having somebody in your stable who's got real ability What's going to happen when Coco's an adult? Are mm-hmm. they, I you know, are they telling her that you can have both sides of yourself because you're supposed to, because it's who you are, or are they, you know, or is that message still being sent like it's sent to every black person with ability, that that the further you get away from blackness, the more lucrative your life can be?
0: Well, do you think? Well, I, I think mean, she's I'm already put, about... that, put that. Yeah, to right. Bed, no? <laughs> she's already just like. I have made my choice. Okay, yeah, so exactly. You have mm-hmm. to walk around well, me now. <laughs> we don't have,
1: but you know what? We might not even have to ask that question. Look at what—look at the transformation of sort of, or what's been happening with Naomi. I was
3: going exactly right. He's going to say the same mm-hmm. thing, and, and that is—that's it. That is a fascinating thing to watch, and it's going to be also fascinating to watch when things return, yes. what the response is going to be, and what happens when she has the inevitable struggles. Yep. Is there yep. going to be the support group or is it going to be like, gotcha, told you so, see you later?
1: I already think it's already there because people mm. were already suggesting those things. Because I mean, uh, Naomi, I you know, the a, beginning, yeah. Right?
0: That's wait. Like, wait till wait till they realize that she doesn't identify necessarily as Asian. Mm. She identifies as being black. Yeah. Mm. Wait till they find final, and she's she says, I grew up in a Haitian household, speak Creole, eat Creole. Eat Haitian food. And I was just mm-hmm. like, that's it right there. Trust me. And Why her Twitter feed spi- is
3: kind of like, oh, she knows oh. spices.
0: It's over. <laughs> yep. Yep. Yeah. So, I mean, I could not put a mic in front of that girl. No,
1: I think a decision has been made at this point in time by Coco and Naomi that they are black. Yes. They are black. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of like Tenehisi Coates' I, black president, right? It's
3: like, right.
1: We have black tennis players. They self-identify that way and they make choices in that way. And I might even suggest that they're one of the few, even amongst Black players, who have said out loud, I am Black.
3: Yeah, that's why Monfees is always so much fun for me because he's actually, I I love the fact that Monfees comes out and says that he plays Washington for that reason. Yes, I know. (laughs) (laughs) I I love about him too. (laughs) <laughs> right? Because I mean if we're really like just keeping it real for just Keep a tiny minute.
0: Keep it real. This is the okay. podcast to do that.
3: Right? I'm, I'm like, would I play Washington? <laughs> Washington. I mean, it's not a it's not a raggedy tournament per se. It's a fun tournament. It is. It's, it's very a, homey. Very it's homey. a homey tournament. Mm-hmm. It's not a luxury tournament.
0: Nope. But know, I'll tell you I'm, something, though. When he goes, when Monfi plays, for example, in New York, you know, everyone is cheering for him, black, white, yeah. indifference, right? The crowd is oh, there. John Isner,
3: John Isner but- alert. <laughs>
0: But <laughs> wounded
1: feelings, wounded feelings. My wounded. Americanness you
0: should trump everything. How come they're not, I mean, how look, how come they're
1: not rooting for me? I'm I mean,
0: Americans out—they're cheering Philip Kohl Schreiber, a German, <laughs> over Isner. Yeah. That's all. I'm not even worrying about the the Monfeet I was at but,
3: that match, and oh my goodness, I was like, oh my god,
0: I'm having so much fun watching this right now. So I can I'm imagine like, he's Monfeet really and, mad. Yep. I like, can imagine Monfie's energy when he goes to a place like Washington. He's just like, if they yeah. love me in New York, and this is a mixed mm-hmm. crowd, mm-hmm. just imagine when it's my people. Because he's not getting that they in Paris them. either, right? He's not, <laughs> no, I mean, like he he does, he's getting does. a kind of a, lo- he's getting a patriotic love in Paris, right? But in Washington, he's getting a he people likes- love. Mm-hmm. This is people just love. genuine, you know, love. Like, you know, we don't even care if you win or lose. We're going <laughs> to tell you if you win, right? But we want what we want to do is hang with you and give you some, yeah. you know, yeah. spicy food. Well, I was food. at that
3: match on Armstrong when mm-hmm. Isner was having a, a little tiny baby because they were rooting for Montfees. and every time, every time he hit an ace, he would like look at the crowd like, "Yeah," and the crowd was like, "See <laughs> you know next time, Gail." the you know,
0: next time, Gale. You'll get the next one, Gale. Right? I really. And the only M-
3: thing bad about that match was that Monfils lost. I was like, I hope he wins this match. I know. I, I, really really wish chase, match.
0: I would save that energy for the U.S.T. and tell him, could you fix the code, please? Can you fix the code so that I can at least go beyond the third round? Because mm-hmm. I mean, it ain't Montfie's problem at the U.S. Open. It's not Montfie. Just you know, <gasps> you, no, you know,
1: funny. it's so. It, that, that's always been my question, though, on some level with Mofis or any of these players, is I wonder, and I this is a strange thing to ask maybe, but can a black male player thrive and do well in tennis? Is there some element of that sport that just doesn't quite fit? Right.
3: Right. Well, so, I mean, one of my, one of my, ten, uh, when I was playing, uh, my son's coach is uh, one of the legends in black I, tennis, Art Carrington. And Art used to play, you know, he and Arthur Ashe, they were doubles partners and whatnot back in the, you know, in the Black Tennis Association and everything. And so Art lives out here in Western Mass. And so, you know, he's my dude out there. And I was playing one day and there was some overhead smash and I went up because I was having some fun. I was doing a little Mumpy's thing, decided to go jump up and hit an overhead smash. And he looked so disappointed because I left my feet. He's like, don't be jumping around here looking like a monkey. I was like, damn, Art. I was like, come on, Art. So absolutely to the point. And when you see Francis Tiafoe do his LeBron James type of thing and he's starting to bring a little bit of that, you know, black style athleticism to the sports. Um, yeah, there's it looks it lands differently. Yep. Now, you can you can make an argument that it lands differently for now because we haven't seen it before. Just like, you know, when you first saw Tiger getting all amped up and psyched up when he was making putts and everything, tennis had I mean sorry, golf hadn't seen that kind of energy before. And now everybody does it, right? So maybe there's somebody's gonna have to be that early adopter because let's face it, outside of Arthur Ash, and Arthur Ash doesn't even necessarily count because you had Connors there and you still had Labour there, there has never been a black player who was the best player in the world. Nope, mm-hmm. and that is shocking, given you know, given there's the never been. Yep, right. So, so we've never seen what tennis looks like when dominated by the best with a black player who is going to be whose style is going to be accepted. A black
0: male player. A black, male, black
3: male player. That's what, I'm, what we're talking. We're talking about yeah. the guys right now.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, so so um, the point is, can tennis actually deal with a black male? With a black male player? Player? I don't
0: think
3: yeah. they can. I don't think I they can. Right. I'm, right the I'm, I'm
0: surprised... No I'm sorry?
3: I said I wasn't slighting the WT. Oh no, 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 I no. no, no, no.
0: I actually think I actually think that they would probably handle a black male tennis player a lot better and easier than a black female tennis
1: player oh no we gonna have to fight not that no i'll
0: tell you this let let me just let me just say this and you know i am happy to be open to discussion it's because i mean in many ways you know serena and if you look maybe because we're too comfortable in in the fact that we understand that you know venus and serena have dominated this sport and been a part of this for such a long time even when they're not playing they dominate the sport because no one, you know, Maria Sharp is here his hair just for sex appeal, well, but cre- no one has been culturally. The sport. I'm sorry?
3: I said they created the modern sport. People like mm-hmm. to talk about, you know, where's the legacy in terms of black female players? Venus and Serena created the entire sport in the past mm-hmm. 30 years because mm-hmm. it's like you had to create a different type of player who could hit with them. Yeah. So they, they changed who got to play. I mean, their level of of influence is kind of off the
0: charts. Um, And also just in terms of popular culture, right? Because they just bring that kind of energy, just, you know, Venus just has to smile on TV and then it's it's over for a lot of people. But I would say that because (laughs) to me, I think a black male in that space would easily compromise. He would easily accommodate that if because that. The Black male wouldn't go in there, and because we've we've noticed like if you see like Michael Jordan, he didn't say anything for a long time if ever. I mean, LeBron waited ten years to to say something, mm-hmm. and i mean i'm I'm thinking that because not even just like the political aspect of it, just in terms of influence acknowledging the influence on the sport itself, mm-hmm. because look how look how long the women w w t will not acknowledge that the thing is that the women need a proper serve. And that the problem with a lot of the game is that the women are not serving properly. Just yes, to just right. have shitty serve, right? <laughs> that, you know that anybody can just step in. That despite the fact that the rackets have improved, the power game has improved, overall ground stroke, whatever the case may be, that the serve is still a vulnerable part, the most vulnerable part. Because I mean, and the, the most the important part,
3: it's a serve dominant game,
0: right? But but we questioned this. I mean, look, Andy Murray is Andy Murray because he don't have a serve, right? Mm-hmm. And we know Rafa had to improve his serve. We, we can speak. Nadal, um, Djokovic had to improve his serve. We can speak rings around Federer's serve. That mm-hmm. we, we didn't mention the influence. And if you go back to um, Steffi Graf, Steffi Graf never had a great serve. She just wanted to snap the point, and yeah. that sounds like Rafa. And that was used as an influence on the women's game. Steffi yep. Graf. Lack of a good serve. It's the reason why Ivanovich serve is blowing all over the place while there's no wind. Right? <laughs> a, <it's laughs> they're, they're copying <laughs> Steffi Grant. But when we talk about Venus and Serena's game style and whatever the case may be, we talk about that on its own. Madison Venus Serena has, has to say so many times. I'm not the hardest person who's on the tour. I am not. I am not the hardest. We talk about Venus serve and that shit even is, none existed. Miles second,
1: serve. Just second serve
0: just a second serve i mean so, so I, i'm just saying that you know that I, they would they would not acknowledge because the black woman as Malcolm <laughs> says the most disrespected person in the human, in the world but they're never given their due even when we are watching it because That's all true. of these all of these women on the toe they're like who's the toughest competitor <laughs> Serena yeah. Beena, yeah. you know i mean it's them right i mean Venus at Wimbledon is a dangerous being, right? You never know. You just you gotta get her early. You never know. Because yep. once she's not rolling, look how she did to contact. And that was what mm-hmm. two years ago. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? So, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Venus is pushing forty, so I, I would say that though it though it would be much more they're much more accommodating in terms of that they would they would have to accept though I agree. they would be a- accepting in a certain extent. They wouldn't acknowledge. the the greatness they wouldn't give them their dude they would quickly add a man because the black man it's much easier because look they they, there are ways in which they can control him they think they can control a black man over a black female i think but you know what i I
3: really i really feel like
2: that part of the reason that monfise is so loved as a black male tennis player is because he's not american I felt that way for a long 100%. time. If and he was no
1: threat, and he's no threat, also, right? He's no threat long haul.
2: If he was, you know, an American black man behaving the way that he does on court, mm-hmm. he would be a thug, or you know, he don't, he know he doesn't know how to act. He would totally be
1: chastised. He would be a,
0: he would, but if Moffitt was winning, though, if Moffitt was winning, though. If you know that's to an
1: interesting, that's a crazy, that's an interesting question, though, no Reals, because I think I think for a lot of white men, this is a very safe space that that black men have not invaded. No, right? No, I mean, think about it. It's um, it's similar to like hockey to me. Like there are certain spaces that white men still feel very much as if they are atop. Well, the we sport. own this. You own this.
3: That
0: you is the golf, that that
1: that's, right? Siege. That's a siege. <laughs> that's a siege. A Black male coming in and being a Black male, by all the things that we mean, both on said and said,
3: mm-hmm. is a
1: different approach, I think. Look at how they have treated Serena and Venus. Imagine a Black male transforming this sport in and this Reed. way. That's that's, right. well, that's a heady combination for people. Yeah, I think Janina is right. Monfils is perceived as French and Special. Extraordinaire. Yeah. You know, they, they giggle at what he says. He, there's no threat perceived by him. There both. is no... Well, but, and but, especially,
0: but, too, imagine but, what it looks they, like. They don't have the work ethic, though. That's just wait, wait, wait. Well, I was going to say, there's a couple
3: of things at work here. Number, number one is, imagine if you had a Black player, a Black male tennis player, who came in to the sport as a teenager, like Rafa or Becker or somebody that young, who had grown up on LeBron yep. and had grown up on black male team sports.
4: Mm-hmm. So they came
3: in with all, all that culture and all that swagger and all that attitude, bringing that into the country club game, Woo-hoo! where they're expecting you to wear all whites and everything. And like, you could see it a little bit with Francis because Francis is ripping off his shirt and everything. And you could see that people looking mm-hmm. at him, like, what you doing? You don't do that here. And you right? help? Like, has, has, has everyone, I've, not presume. Have we all been to Wimbledon, or have we not all been to Wimbledon?
0: No. no, no.
3: I'm the traveler on this podcast. You're the traveler? Yes. So, I don't remember which year... I mean, every year it was... Every year, there's an element of it, since Mm -hmm. I've been there, but which year was it where you had that classic second-round match, third-round match between Heather Watson and Serena? Was it 13? Oh, my God. Was it 15? Were you at that match? I was at that match. And... And I remember, I mean, even before that, right? Now, if you look at players, and it's very difficult to have these conversations because people get all pissed off about it, even though we just talk about bodies, right? Yep. You know, if you're going to cover sports, you're going to talk about bodies. Um, Serena is about what? Serena's five, nine and a half. He is probably... You know, the media guide says she's 150 pounds. She's probably about 155, 160, right? I don't know how much she weighs now, but in her prime, she was about that, right? So when you look at her, I mean, okay, she's strong. She's muscular. She's got an athletic body. If you look at Anjali Kerber, Kerber's 5'8", about 150. They're almost the same size. Mm -hmm. If you see them stand by, if you watch them side by side, they're not that different. If you look at someone like Muguruza, Muguruza is 6'1". She weighs about 160 pounds. So when you're looking at these women, these bodies are enormous. They're big. I'm 5'10", 190. I'm like, I feel like a shrimp like walking, walking, you know, walking around them, right? However, I'm watching one of these matches, and if you just go sit, Center Court is an amazing venue because where the media sits, you're still really close. You're not that far away, and because of the acoustics of Center Court – Even with the roof open, you can hear people. You can hear people in center court, right? And the way that the white Wimbledon crowd reacts to everything Serena does, you would think that it was like King Kong or something. The racism (laughs) in dealing with the intimidation. Like there were times when Serena would, she'd just take a ground stroke and you would look at the crowd and they would like shudder. (laughs) <laughs> you know like at that strength and what what's that is this? black greatness That's it's, 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 it. and black, it's, it's black greatness but it's black strength yeah and i'm like she'll even hit the ball hardest on tour but it's the way it's the way that uh, uh, she yeah, looks yeah yes. as opposed does to it. right
1: a madison keys the one that hits the hardest ball yes exactly yeah. right
3: but but people but them white women in the crowd don't react to madison keys hitting the forehand the way they do serena no, they don't. That is a pigmentation question, right <laughs> Yeah, so that
0: is. But, he, but that is the, he, the thing. That is the thing I think it's going to. That that pops up, I think, for black women in sports as opposed to black men in sports, right? It is understood that yeah, the black man is strong. supposed to be is supposed yeah. to be strong, right? He's some superhuman freak, and we can all worship him in the in progress. <laughs> but well,
4: but the they black were women.
3: That's right.
0: Black woman okay. is somehow there is a cheat going on here, right? Like somehow, cheat. I mean, was like, always a cheat, always well, a cheat I, right?
3: I was going to say it was also that sort of superhuman thing, but the superhumanness of Serena was not a compliment. No, they right? It's offensive. Her, it no, it's offensive. It was offensive. They were offended, and I don't remember, you know, you know, which little wayfish Eastern European she was crushing at the time, but you could see the <laughs> sympathy that they had for her. What chance does this poor little white girl, wearing all oh, her clothes, oh. what chance do they have against her?
0: Meanwhile, yeah, can... meanwhile, they won't admit that little girl was throwing in some little stones for a serve, and that's why right? she's on the back foot, right? That she she has no hope in a prayer if she's gonna stand off the point with a twenty mile an hour serve, just begging for the, well, the returner to is, dominate. But this,
1: is, but this is why you now have a language around the power game, right? Yes. Yeah. Failing to understand that Lindsay had a power game. <laughs>
3: Lindsay, and also, and also, because one of the perks that you have um, as a journalist when you go, you get to play at the All England Club. We get to play before the matches start. We can go play, right? You can't play on, on the grass, grass because the grass is wet. Oh, you can okay. go indoors in the indoor courts, right? And so if you've got to connect, you can go walk in. So I'm sitting here hitting one day, and um, and Lindsay's there with her son. Lindsay's 6'3". Mm-hmm. mm-hmm.
0: She's you know, I mean, Lindsay Davenport is big, enormous. She's a big girl. Mm-hmm.
3: I saw Lindsay at the U.S. Open one day walking down Third Street. And um, I'm sorry, Third Avenue. And um, and she was on the phone. You know, she'd gone shopping somewhere. And I was looking at her and I was like, holy shit. You know, I mean, so it, the, the point that I was trying to make is that all of these players are world-class super athletes. And extraordinarily big. Yep. An extraordinarily and extraordinarily big. they train, right? This is their but, job, right? <laughs> But, exactly, which is what their job is. But unless you're, except for Aga Radvansa, because she still wants to be a woman. And, um, and, you know, I mean, so what if she looks like the mummy by the end of the year? She got all that she got so much tape on her, I'm like, damn, she looks embalmed. So, um, but the difference is, is that the reaction to the optics of Serena, yeah, they didn't treat her, even when she was losing, they didn't treat her, You know, the same way when other players were out there hitting her off the court, they were still intimidated by her power simply because of that optic.
0: Well, John McEnroe said that, you know, it was okay for Justine to cheat because, you know, she had to cheat in order to win against Serena. There was just, you know, which is no other way. Yeah,
1: which is what which is the larger point of Maria Sharapova and why she continues to be seen as a rival, because her cheating doesn't delegitimize her wins at all the Few that's that she right. had, it's because that's what you have to do when you are playing against someone who is unfairly gifted, right? Yeah,
3: but, well, but I still but, think yeah. they're rivals, and the reason why I think they were rivals is because they just couldn't stand each other.
2: Because well,
3: that was, <laughs> <it> was, <laughs> they were rivals, they ain't no Somebody says, Oh, it wasn't a rivalry. No, I, I, you know, language dude that I am, I will make the distinction was it competitive. No, was it a rivalry? 100%. <laughs> I totally
0: like, don't even think that Maria took up that much headspace in Serena's head. I would hope I mean, she didn't, because
3: oh, I think she did. I, I think just, she was yeah, like, I, so I will never ready. say it out loud, but I ain't losing to you again.
0: Oh, that's forever. different. Oh, <laughs> that's different. That's different. That's <laughs> uh, personal. I'm going I'm gonna handle my business on the court, right? Because that's what matters, right? I'm not gonna Yeah, to but it's not like she's just credit. another opponent.
3: She's like, I ain't losing
0: right. to you. <laughs> I mean Serena showed up with half a long two steps away from my wheelchair in twenty fifteen to be like, girl, we're gonna snatch this trophy away from you. And I gotta crazy.
3: say it, maybe this is just like conspiracy theory on my part, but there was kind of a little bit I'm, I and I would just preface this by saying I know I'm probably ninety-five percent wrong on this. But that five percent is so strong in me that in in my whole math work. But okay, when when Serena withdrew in the French Open, I was like, she don't yes. sure she can. Yes, win. <laughs> I, I, am like, oh, I am with you. I am with you. I'm sure Howard. she think she could win this one? Yeah, yeah. Um, I'll so give it, you the walkover.
2: I over. believe it. But I ain't so
0: tired, uh, you ain't
2: beaten. Amen to there that. A I said that at the time. I believe it. Listen, I believe it one hundred percent. I'm, not, I'm screw the other ninety five. You're not. To get. Is, like, that's that's, that's like <laughs> I'm
1: putting a bet. That's, like that's like a that's like a that's like when Nole sees Veterra. He's like, I am ready. I am ready yep. for you right now. I don't. Even, I'm not even doing well, but I will. Well, also, stop.
3: when he plays when he plays Nadal, I ain't losing to you.
0: <laughs> you know. I mean, I don't mind that one so much. <laughs> it's true. It's going to be struggle tennis all the <laughs> okay. way up until he sees Nadal. And he's just like, yeah. oh. All right,
3: Dennis Isterman. Is is okay, you might get me, Dennis Isterman. All right. Exactly. You know, Stan, Stan. Okay, Stan, you might get me. Rafa, yes. you ain't getting me. Listen to me. Ain't no, no good feeling
1: in It's not in even tennis. Rafa. It's not Rafa. I have to, I have to beg to differ. No, you think Le- it's Roger? No- Nole gets a special thrill.
0: No, I, I mean, he gets a that special thrill because, because he knows he has to play. I think it's both of them. I think, <laughs> I think,
1: you know what he says, I think I someone has quotes. asked him somebody has asked him who he who he doesn't like losing to, and I think he has said. Petera. Because I think I mean it's, in a weird way, he's beaten Rafa so many times. You know, for yeah for a good chunk of time he's like sort of like was beating Rafa. Like that was like his thing for dinner, right? Mm. But it's like somehow or another <laughs> But maybe you're right. Maybe it's just both of them. But I just think that when he sees those two rivals, no matter how ordinary his tennis has been up to that point, he just dials in. So there is some psychological advantage. No, Charles, I mean, there's that
0: no is is there true any, because, I mean, because that's the why effect. he's a third wheel, right? That's right, why he's a third the wheel dual, on the fight. But,
3: but doesn't it also work in the dual effect? I mean, if you're Nadal, you're like, oh, shit, I got to play him again. I mean, yeah. off, off clay, Nadal has not taken a set. Often off, of off, of, off, off joke in seven years. Thank you, yep. thank you, thank you for saying that as a Rafa fan. Thank <laughs> I mean, you.
2: Seven years. Is,
0: is, is it no, just no, me? No, they... But is it just me? But I feel like when Nole plays Nadal, he's like, I can win this point at any point. But you at, know at what? I'm point. just, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm playing with, I'm playing with my food here. I am playing <laughs> with my. Food. No, he
4: does do
0: that. It's <laughs> But no. I think for me, when he plays Federer, I think he knows that Federer is going to bring his best tennis. And, yeah, and what do you think the difference is? And, but I, difference? I think that there's so many things... Because Federer doesn't... Nadal, he's beating Nadal by being a better version of Nadal, right? He's beating Nadal from the back of the court. I think he has to come up with a way better game yeah. against Federer in terms of, like, uh, all code, much more variety in style of play. There is the crowd factor, right? Because this is an ego trip. Now, he wants to embarrass yeah. the crowd. And also... At the end of the day, Federer really plays him really well. There is yeah, an unpredictable nature to it. That even if even if he has like two sets to love over Federer, right? That Federer can it can swing either way. It can yeah. also, you know, Federer has a problem going over the hump. But you know, mm-hmm. that's a whole other conversation is the fact that Federer gets to the finish line. Doesn't yeah, necessarily I think that's always one cross thing, it. Too.
1: Mm-hmm. So, but I think the thing, the thing with Nole, though, with I think Nole has learned over time that just because Federer can rise to the occasion doesn't mean that he will get over that hump. So, so he just has be, to be, remain excellent yeah, it's a, it's in calm. key moments. He just has just, to stay excellent. Because I've you've well. watched in the last couple encounters, it's not a consistently great
3: match. But what yeah. Nole will do is, is this a set point? Okay, yeah. I'm dialed in. Is point? Exactly. When you yeah. when you watch each of those when you watch um, Djokovic play against each of those players, when you watch as in the doll guy when you watch those matches, you immediately see how hard Rafa has to work on his serve. He don't get no love holds. There's no 15s. There's everything is deuce. Everything is 30. Everything is break point. You can, he's working so I'm like at some point you're gonna lose because you cannot maintain that level with his serve. The difference when he plays Roger. Is the serve. Yep. He, you know, Roger's serve is so good that Roger, Roger can get a sixty-second hold off anybody, mm-hmm. everybody, and, so and he's, he's
0: in your to, and he and he's in your service game. He's he can, he determined it, exactly. that you will not you love. You games. will not be getting by love.
3: No, that's right. So. And so Roger, I mean, the most underrated thing about Roger Federer is how much of a fighter he is. People treat him like he's some sort of artiste. Roger Federer is here to kick your ass. You know, he's here to fight. And he's so, he's so petty. the problem, <laughs> so the problem with the problem that Roger has is that Roger has to work so hard, you know, to get there. And when he finally does get there, then he rushes it. Yep. And then he rushes it, and he's not. I mean, those two match points at Wimbledon, he just rushed them both. Yeah, he, and not he necessarily. Not necessarily. Howard, we he don't we don't, oh, <laughs> we don't need
2: to revisit this.
0: Oh, we don't need to. We're not <laughs> it. Bringing it up all the time. Hold yeah. up, hold up. Don't be trying to act like you're the you're the you're the, you're the quorum, But you, you know, but all this thing. all this tennis
2: talk is making me actually realize how much I miss it, and that is and not what I want to remember right now. It's yeah. yeah.
3: But, okay, well let's go this. Let's go in this one last one last thing on this point though. Yep. Is that? Robert but Fair then when he boat. when 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 Djokovic <laughs> plays Stan, he realizes that Stan Stan can blow me off the court.
2: Yeah. yeah.
3: You know, you know, and so that's sort of an interesting thing. Stan is the only guy who can who can blow you off the court and finish the job. Right. You Roger see, can blow the Djokovic off the court, but exactly if he feels like playing.
0: Exactly, and because if he doesn't feel like playing, he's going out early. Day. Yeah. you would know from the first set. So I think yeah. all you have to do if you're playing Stanley is wait to see which version shows up. <laughs> which, More than likely <laughs> you're going to get the 9 out of 10 times Stanley show up there. The one who don't care, who is mumbling and fumbling about all kind of things. Yeah. So, f- because Federer knows. Federer knows when he meets that 1 out of 10 Stanley he's just like, alright, it's over for anybody. Right. That's your right. day.
3: It's is your a, day today, but I've, I've had you so many times. it's not
0: fun. Right, so right. Federer yeah. could eat that L and be comfortable. He can eat that L.A. because he knows tomorrow actually knows uh, Basil he going to get Stanley and he ain't worried right. about that. But the other two, when Nadal and Djokovic see that Stanley across the net, they're like, somebody, he needs to pee in a cup right now. They <laughs> exactly. Although they I will like, say,
3: whenever, whenever, I see, whenever I see Stan on court against Roger, there's one sentence that always comes to mind. Shut up, Mirka. <laughs> <laughs> We kind of all it love that. Out loud on court. Shut up, America. Like, okay, they all know each other. I see you. You know, Look at those, all your secrets. I know exactly. You know everything. All that I have done, you know it. And also, you know, behind behind them aviators, I know you don't like me. <laughs> Damn, tippy, I don't like you. You know, and especially behind them aviators with your perfect nails and everything else, I know you don't like me.
0: But, you know, you know the, the,
3: America, the funniest part about
0: like- that whole story is that she got up out of her seat. No one could have held her back. And she went to the court and she told him what she had to say. And She didn't just scream <laughs> it from the stand like Kimberly. She got up and she just like, you know what? You're a motherfucker. And you're always going to be a motherfucker. Now, lose this guy in a match, bitch. <laughs> That's what I thought. Of. Tony couldn't even hold her back. She just like, Tony, leave me alone. Hold my purse, bitch. I'm going to handle my business, there. My man is down here getting his ass kicked. No, uh uh-uh. uh. Not from this mofo. That's she doesn't even Travis. leave her see for Djokovic. I know. She's crazy. I know. Like, you know, girl, like, you should have done that at Wimbledon, right? I All don't those mess with America. Funny.
3: Don't, exactly. Do not <laughs> oh, mess with don't her.
0: Don't mess with America.
3: That is so funny. Shut <laughs> up, I'm like, y'all, oh, this is too much. No, well, I don't too know much.
1: if you've had a chance. I don't know if you've had, a, just because Janina said we're missing it. Have you had a chance to take a gadget? It's fair if you haven't. Have you had a chance to look at the U.S. Open plans?
3: The U.S. Open plan, the French plan, the Labor Cup. I'm looking at this going, y'all all know it's the same days, right?
1: <laughs> well, luckily for us, Labor Cup has moved itself. It said, we're leaving this year alone. So we're 2021. Get us then if COVID's. Oh, they canceled Boston? Yeah, they yeah, moved they out. Did. They moved out of it. Oh, They're like, I didn't hey, know
0: that. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. first of all, no European in their right mind is gonna come to America for nothing. Just <laughs> to, say, because here's the, the thing, get... because they might be able to come in, but would their country let them out. back in? Would they be yeah. able to go...
3: Canadians don't even want to come here? Yeah, so. <laughs> so
1: it's a different, it's a different so I think we go keep missing tennis for a little bit. I will say, <laughs> so, <laughs> so, but is the, is the French good. the French is still on the September, right? The French is still trying to be on. And I think the US, the U.S. Open is flirting with some plans, which I think they just recently dropped. And we could talk about that a little bit later, um, that maybe another time. But I think what they're trying to do is limit the number of entourage members that can be here. They're one offering multiple tests. They want to make sure that you are quarantined for some a certain period of time before you arrive. There's just a whole series of. Well, how things.
0: are they flying there? No, no another. No, 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 private,
1: private jet. They're doing a private. They're doing. They're doing private flights.
0: Or, gee, something. Could you I do mean, I the think...
3: U.S. Open with two? I'm wondering if you could do it with two roofs, because you've got two covered right now. Because, because uh, yeah,
0: mm-hmm.
3: Armstrong is covered. So if you can do that, I wonder how many seeds could you actually get to if you played it in October, November before the weather got to you. I mean, this
0: is, But
1: see, the problem.
0: But with I that, mean, by the second week of if the U.S. Open, open of, yeah, very, of the, the open. second week. Of um, the U.S. Open and regular schedules, it starts to get a little cooler. It gets, you, exactly.
3: You no, I was wondering about just in terms of. I was
0: wondering about in terms of the
3: accommodation of whether you could actually play weather-wise indoors, if those stadiums just would get too cold anyway. The thing about it, is, though, for COVID, for COVID, the, the indoors
1: is the downside.
3: Right. That's right. That's the biggest. That's right. That's right. It's better to be outside. 100%. It's better to be
1: outside. So I actually like the initial plan that people flirted, which was to have it in Indian Wells. Because it's hot throughout the year, um, and you could, and, it, and it's big enough, and you can conceivably isolate people in all manner. And it's
3: still the U.S. Yeah. Open. It doesn't have to be in New York. It could be anywhere. Nope. It could be anywhere in New York. That's actually <laughs> pretty good. So Tell you what,
0: <laughs> California, get that. They're not letting that go. I know. I gonna say You think Larry Ellison's
3: going to let that go? I mean, like, no, no, no. <laughs> I mean, it's not I think the third like the you the fourth can major.
0: He's going to be like, you can have Eric Snobin. You can have Indian Wells. You can put it out there. We don't care. January, February, March, May. We don't care which day you want to have it. But that would be interesting. I mean, I think this people need to let this go. I mean, because... I
1: think this year we may need to put it as a wrap, I think.
0: I agree. Ah, Maybe... You know what? I think they're using the protests, you know, to distract them. Because no one is looking at COVID plans. Be like, this don't make any sense, right? <laughs> because...
3: I don't think you can... <laughs> I, I don't – I really just don't see – and I'm obviously on the baseball side of this right now listening to those guys fighting with each other. I just don't see how you can do this with any sort of confidence because, one, the calendar – it's June. Yep. I mean, the calendar mm-hmm. is eating you up already right now. Mm-hmm. Two, is anybody – is anybody in condition to play? So what's that going to look like? I mean
0: – The Olympics yeah. knew they had to stop that right away because no one right? train. I mean,
3: who's – Who's ready to play right now? How much time do you all need to like ramp up? And then also with everything going the way it's going to the to the point, you don't even know that necessarily the travel schedule and does it really work? I mean, okay, you can go play with no fans or whatever, whatever. But do I want to watch a tennis match with nobody there?
2: Well, even beyond that, I mean, the the safety of it all, it doesn't matter if there are fans there or not. These leagues are big. People come in contact with lots of different people. For the health and safety of everyone, they shouldn't be Mm. playing. I mean, but people are just so fucking money hungry, and they Mm. can't put themselves aside for the greater good. We have to play. We have to play. No one, listen, none of us are happy. I am a sports fan way beyond tennis. I am missing live sports just as much as everybody else. Else, but you know what? It's, it's, not, not, it's not the not end time. of the world, it's not time, yeah. and we need to just let it go. Mm.
1: And also, with it's the protest, completely true. I mean, also, just let's be honest with the protest. yeah the protest has completely changed COVID. It's, it's completely because cha- now we're seeing COVID um, rates that were based on us opening up in in early May, which people oh, get
3: all kinds of spikes now because everybody's
1: all on top of each
3: other,
0: exactly. Mm-hmm. Everyone
1: is all over they're wearing masks as best that they can, and they're outside. But, the, uh, but apparently the, the tear gas is also generate makes it that much harder for you to breathe. And so you're of taking course. a breath and you're doing all kinds of things. <clears throat> so it's just, and it's happening worldwide.
2: World. Well, and That's, these people yeah. are putting on these masks that are, yes, it's helping. Does it really protect you? No, it doesn't.
0: Yeah, these, these I mean, effective
2: these aren't, you, are, you could put a bandana over your mouth all you want. You're probably still getting it. True story.
3: Well, true story. And on top of that, right? Yeah, I have to. I do have to say though, my favorite mask story, living out here in the woods as I do, is the number of people who will sit with their mask on and then take their mask off to smoke.
2: <laughs> <laughs> or talk to you. I'll
0: talk <laughs> to you. I noticed that they talk to right. you. Uh, I mean, they have a mask on, but are they wearing it properly? No. No. It's on their chin. Their chin is protected. Mm-hmm. You know, often, and then the there are people
3: haven't... who wear their mask it's like, hey, it's under your nose. That's defeating the entire purpose of it's the, it's the whole it's thing. It's right? They don't. I, I mean, well, I don't. It is true. I just but talk them
2: is... all up to being Trumpers. Yeah,
3: I, I'm like, I'm going to just stay in the house.
1: No, I'm th- we're all <laughs> staying in the house. That's just how we're doing. So, mm-hmm. Howard, let me ask you. How do you? I need to know because I'm like in my own head. The whole protest. How are you feeling? How are you feeling? Are you hopeful like Tennessee
3: Coates? <laughs> I can't believe he said that, but I love it. I am. I am. Uh, well, my son tried to go out the other day. He's gone out to three of them already in this past week, and he's 15. Mm-hmm. And I have, I have said to him that this whole thing is just white people talking to other white people, right? I'm like we're not asking for anything and i'm trying to explain to him i'm like look i don't beg for my humanity i'm not going out there to beg you for my humanity i would rather you just leave me alone however what i will say is that there is something remarkable happening right now i have two fears the the remarkable part of it is that i think it's a i think it's a perfect storm um i think that people are i think people are spending a lot of time talking about black lives mattering I'm not really sure this is about black life mattering. Mm-hmm. I, I think that people have had it. I think yep. it's the accumulation of this president, to be honest. Mm-hmm. I think it's the accumulation of that. I think it's the accumulation of being cooped up in the house for three months. Mm-hmm. I think it's the accum- I think it's the accumulation, especially on the on the democratic white woman side. Of getting punched in the stomach by Elizabeth Warren and by Brett Kavanaugh and by Hillary Clinton, I think everybody is starting to feel like they're, damn, I kind of, I, I'm not in the spot that I thought I was in. And this is sort, sort of getting away. And I think that part of it is wrapped up in obviously seeing what happened with George Floyd and everything. But as people keep asking, what's the difference? And especially from a corporate standpoint, too, we don't have any new information today that we didn't have with Sandra Bland or that we didn't have before that. So why now? Um, And every time I look at it, I just think, I think about, I think about the White House. I think that people, I think that white people are realizing that they're not free either. Mm -hmm. That the black, you know, the, the, the white man's burden had always been what to do with the black people you brought here that you didn't want. And now white people are starting to realize that I can have, I can't just have the right values and say the right things and have the supposedly the right acquaintances and be free, because look at what's happening to me. And so I, I'm very wary of the entire, of this entire moment being wrapped around black life mattering. I'm not sure that's what it is. I think that's
1: fair, you know, because I think as we, as we raise the specter of like uh, prison abolition, police abolition, you could see certain kind of resistances coming up, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. You could see the like, well, not that far.
3: I was gonna say, well, hang on, hang on a minute. My dad was a cop.
1: Yeah, you know, you know and, you, and and actually, I, you know, to be fair, I was listening to a, I was listening to something before with James Blake and um and the rest of the tennis team talking a little bit about the the moment. And one of the points they they were really talking about this whole conversation around good and bad cops. And so what really led me to understand, and listen, people don't get into a battle with me about good or bad cops, but we're talking mm-hmm. about systems here. We're talking about systems change. We're That's talking right. about reallocating funds to things that are gonna support people in terms of the social safety net. And so for me to see people sort of like pull back a little bit, when what this whole COVID crisis has re- should have made us all realize that there are no social safety nets. There, mm-hmm. no, there are none, not even for you, like, right. there has been a fundamental failure on many levels. And, and if, if we're going to go with the fact that you are really upset about that, and there's under the, this cover of Black Lives Matter, then you should be thinking through what are some of the solutions. And it's not necessarily right. going to be the 8.1 that has been offered up. Because that's yeah. very discreet, right? It's very discreet. And it's actually just about controlling police behavior nothing about culture change
0: and that and that and no. that is already inherently in their rule books, that yeah. this kind of behavior is not a, it's not acceptable but yeah. i i think that is going to be the the, the 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 issue right it's about when you're done protesting and when you're done when it comes to do you really want systemic change because that's what you're really protesting right and who's going to be up for the who's going to want systemic change is mostly going to be black people right? Because they understand right. what at stake. Also, is. They're the but, ones who the, we'll, ones the we'll, system is crushing. Right. And if you notice all the corporate speeches and statements and whatever the case is to me, they're not talking about systemic change, mm-hmm. right? They're just saying, be nice to the black people you know. We, mm-hmm. we are nice to the black people we know. But at the end of the day, every one of those corporate statements, somebody is coming out, well, we work for you and you weren't nice. I mean, you we were black and you weren't nice to us. So don't know I'm what you're that. really talking about. I got to tell so, you,
3: right? I was going to say, I, I got to tell you. I was convinced when I got up Monday morning that I had fallen down the stairs and was in a coma and woke up and nobody told me <laughs> because the number of text messages I got from my white friends asking me if I was all right. I'm like, what happened? I was like, <laughs> and I'm getting another email. I get another text. From, hey, just let, let me know if there's anything I can do. I'm like, what happened? <laughs> and then I'm, I'm looking up, I get another text message from somebody. I just want you to know I'm here for you. I'm like, did something happen and
4: nobody
3: told me? <laughs> I was for, I'm for real. I was like, what is, and then I'm like, oh, this is George Floyd. I'm like, people are calling you me are, directly. You are your me George
1: Floyd. You are the- <laughs>
3: Yeah. Right.
4: And
3: I'm like, I'm good. Are you all right? And so as this was going on, I, as I was listening to people and I'm getting all these messages from people I haven't heard from in years, just wanted you to know that I've always been, you know, you know, always been on your side. I'm like, I don't know how to respond to this. But I started thinking about this. I'm like, look, the president has deployed the military to point its guns at you too. Are you all right?
1: Exactly. exactly. Oh my gosh, that is what I say back. I said, listen, I know that you want this to be about us and me, but this is about all of us. Your that's structure right. is crumbling. Do
3: you know that? Are you all right? I was like, what are you looking at me like? I said, we go through this all the time.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: I was like, I don't, I don't remember you asking me if I was all right when they left Michael Brown hanging out in the street for four hours.
2: Right. You know? This does feel different though, doesn't
3: it? It feels completely different. And that's the whole point is that when, as yep. it does feel different, the reason why it feels different is because it's not about Michael Brown and it's not about us we're being it's being directed at us but it's really not completely about us <clears throat> and we and you'll find out we'll know who's about it and who's not about it when you start realizing when things start to get taken away
4: mm-hmm. when it's
3: like okay you know when you start reallocating you ask people what reallocation really looks like it's about losing some stuff what are you willing to actually give up what are you willing to actually sacrifice in terms of gain right, and in terms of if your game is not clearly financial, are you still in the game? Are you still willing to be part of this? I mean, it's like when we were talking about, when people say Black Lives Matter, are they talking about police? Or are they talking about hiring? Because when I <laughs> think about Black Lives Matter, I'm talking about the whole thing. So right. you, you're talking about, you're talking about systems and you're talking about CEOs and I ask the question when it comes to corporate and business all the time. Are you grooming me to replace you? Because if you're not, we have nothing to talk about. We have nothing to talk about because essentially what you're saying is that I will always have one step, at least one step beneath you. Are you grooming me to have a job that you think should go to you? Are you willing to step away? It's like we were talking about YA earlier, the number of white writers who are just absolutely upset at the fact that the culture is moving now you're not allowed to write about black people in any way that you want now the industry wants black people to write about black people and they're like that's discrimination are you willing to open up a space that doesn't include you
1: are you open tennis channel are you willing to have a table just with black commentators talking oh god
2: no right but but
1: let's be be real about it right we have someone who can talk about monfise's game without any of the coded language that we have to hear when we
0: go would they even accept training though would they even accept training to be like you see these things that you are saying and john McEnroe? you kind of have to do some research before you get on the air
3: Well, I didn't watch the match, and I think that he's ranked somewhere between 1 and 75. You know, I mean, and I like John. I actually think that John, in some level, I think that John, at some level, serves a great purpose, in Mm -hmm. that the purpose that he served was that he was a celebrity, he's a star, he brings eyeballs to the sport. But then when it comes to actually people who watch the sport, and whether it's him or whether, I mean, I can't be talking about this, we all work at the same company, but when you're watching... You know, when you're watching the stuff, everybody, they so easily slip into all of those same cliches. It's yeah. like, OK, one, OK, they're talking about fees We're going to go to work ethic in three, two, one. And it's like it's always the same thing. And it goes back to the point, I think, Janina, that you were making earlier about the culture. No, I think it was intriguing. You were saying that this is something that they believe that they own. Right. They own what work ethic in tennis looks like. They own what demeanor looks like. They own what the culture of a successful male tennis How player they is like. they
0: supposed get to, to define like. it. Only they can define it.
3: That's right. And only they can define it. Now, Serena sort of messed that up because Serena and Venus were so damn good, they got to define what a successful tennis player looked like on the WTA side. But because you've never had that on the men's side, the Monfises of the world and everybody else who doesn't quite follow exactly what the stern, stoic tennis player, which is kind of ironic watching John McEnroe say these things. But, um, you know, all of that sort of culture, that sort of cultural demeanor, they get to control that. So every time, you know, every time, you know, they're talking about someone like Monfils or whomever. And, And on the flip side is they they talk about guys who are less successful but have the right demeanor and talk about them as if they're more professional I mean because if you're really going to talk about someone like Mumphies he's had a phenomenal last three seasons he's been great mm-hmm. he's played really 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 well <coughs> and, and and you look at him you know he's a he's a, I think he's ninth in the world now he's been between 7 and 14 for the past few years he you know he really has been an outstanding player
0: and but uh, Catalina That's ah
2: they like to say,
0: time. Oh, <laughs> she's making
2: exactly. and she's such a hard worker, and this is rubbing off on Monfils.
3: Exactly. When I mean, like, we're actually keeping it real, I mean, if you really want to keep it real, Svidalina's the one whose game falls apart the minute she gets to a semifinal. Right. I mean, she she doesn't just fall, she gets her ass kicked when she gets to a semifinal. It's like, Is this the same player? I mean, she gets out there, and you can see the nerves. She I think those five two players, matches, five and a half matches, exactly. I, I think the two of them are great
0: for
3: each other.
0: right? I have a maybe. I mean, maybe going back to the the um the point where um Andre made that she doesn't know whether a black male player could um get into this space, but I, I do wonder if perhaps we need to um ask other question. it's not just being being successful on the court right but what about the other apparatus behind the scene because I a, a tennis it. player is not an individual right yeah. would this space allow for a black male player because when yeah. there have been any inkling of there being a black male player they have quickly tried to shut him down or box him in in a sort of a i'm thinking nick who has potential to, some Maybe not be like gold kind of potential, but you know potential to compete, Dane. But you know injuries, etc. But is the sport? Um, that's a person of color, Nick, This is black, but um, a male of color. But does the sport allow for that sort of space? Can because Taylor Townsend brought out something. I think we know it's the microaggression that gets to you every day. Like how do they handle even if they're capable and they're talented to play and win?
3: Can yeah, they I deal the, with the
0: microaggression, and mental aspect of it every day?
3: Yeah, I think the hardest thing that people don't recognize when they're watching tennis is one, the amount of emotional energy you have to bring in a very short span, and it's it's very similar. It's very similar in some ways to to baseball in that in a week stand in a week's time, non-major, um, especially at a 500 tournament or even a th- not a thousand some thousands. But um, you're playing every day. You know, by the time you get to that second week, you're playing every day. Or if you're playing one of those one-week tournaments, it's an everyday thing. And so there's not a lot of time to relax, regroup, rethink. At the very least, you're getting one day. It's not like basketball where you may have a game on Friday. Your next game's not until Wednesday. So it's, it's really difficult to be able to maintain a certain emotional level and I think you're right. I think that the real question that we're I'm I'm really looking forward to seeing it one day to see what it what would it be like to have the best tennis player in the world be a black male? And what would we be asking from that person? Has there I'm thinking now that you bring it up, Reals. I'm thinking who is the last individual sport black male who was unapologetically black at the same time? Ali? I mean, Tiger did a whole lot of accommodation, right? We know Tiger just ran from being black. Who was the last black male who was the best in the world at what they did in an individual sport who identified seriously as black? Hmm. It has to you be know. boxing. It has to it's be, gotta be. It's got to be. It's got to be boxing. It's got to be Ali yeah. or tight Ty- or you know, or Tyson. And you didn't want that, right? <laughs> yeah. um, so you know. So what does so what does that actually look like? Um, you've seen it plenty of times in team sports, but. You know the closest the closest thing you get is a LeBron or a Jordan because they are so prominent in the culture off the court. Sometimes they feel like individuals. Yeah.
0: But but in individual sport, I think it's easy to eliminate them, right? Because I am thinking about um, a winter sport, um, Shawnee Davis. He did um, Davis and speed skating. Yeah. In speed skating, he was definitely the best middle distance skater. Yep. In the world for like or five years, he.
3: Yeah.
0: I mean, it's not even but, more than that, but for mm-hmm. two Olympics, basically, he dominated. Um, he dominated. Yeah. yeah. He dominated, but you know, there was this, the concept microaggression. He's not part of the group. Boom, Yellow right. and skating mm-hmm. out there. He, he can't. Oh move. yeah,
1: and track and field. Sorry. And track
0: and field. Yeah, I, I track think, and feel um,
1: Yeah, Usain and things like that. But yeah, but it's different. But now. they're
0: not. But they're not allowed to occupy a political yeah. space, right? That's they, right. They, they quickly put that in a box you know yeah, and bolts not america right. no. <laughs> sure. Sure. so i mean well, I see, okay I, I i see i see what um janina and andrina is saying you know i see you. yeah. you're right it, it might not be possible i mean that I, not, might not be possible like you um howard i am looking forward to see what that looks like i
3: just want to see yeah, yeah. I just wanna he see
0: would have my like, support because... for sure
3: Sorry, but I would see, later is,
0: like to see. This is the Black is.
1: Lives Matter theme, right? This is the black. Does Black Lives Matter if we can, if if if, if this space can accommodate Black people really in their fullness? Well, we've shown that, that it one... couldn't. It couldn't accommodate the women in their full blackness. And right. there's some people attempting to do it now. We'll see what that looks like. That that holds <laughs> well for the future, right? <laughs> but we've already seen yeah. him of some conflict. We've seen how people turn quickly against Coco uh, at certain moments, and we've seen them do it against Naomi. So, as again, we're, we're in a respite. We're in a, we're in a break period. Yeah. We'll have to see well, what it what, looks like. That's
3: right. That's right. And what's actually going to be real interesting, too, is that there was one player who you sort of saw going, who was really starting to move, interestingly, in, in that direction, and it was somebody who I had no time for, and we did not get along and have never gotten along with Sloane Stephens, and then she stopped winning. Um, yeah. And I mean, you know, when Sloane Stephens was walking in with a black coach and Josie Altador, and I was like, oh, oh, we're, you know, <laughs> that's sort of interesting. And um, considering that, you know, it was, you weren't quite sure where she was on that. Um, I still say that 20 was it twenty seventeen? I think it was either twenty seventeen or no twenty eighteen um, US Open semifinal weekend where you had three black women in the you know and there was one who said nothing, Venus, but she got the free pass because she was Venus.
0: There was, she never said anything, right? She, never, she never said says anything.
3: anything. There was two Madison Keys who was like, Yeah, I'm not really part of this moment. And then there was and then there was even though, yes, I was I was inspired by <clears throat> Nobody did this when I was a little kid. And then there was Sloane Stevens who was like, absolutely, I'm here because I'm black. I was like, oh, am I in an alternate universe? But
0: <laughs> I just I, yeah, I think that they, they have to, I think for some athletes and athletes of color, particularly when you're in a white space, just in general, I always think, you know, like, even though, you know, you might not want to acknowledge your blackness or your heritage, et cetera, someone will remind you you mess, will, right? you you will reminded. be reminded you know so yeah. I, I, I know this like you know I, and I think they have to come to that moment that come to Jesus moment on their own where they're sticking and then and they go do the reading because I'm sure that may have happened for Colin as well right that for Kaepernick yeah, he was like running around thinking you know like he is just like one of the boys and then yeah. there is that moment right where someone is just saying, hmm your hair don't look so right <laughs> You tend too well. You know, mm-hmm. and then it changes the whole he realized one thing is not like the other. Yeah. But
3: and you constantly get reminded of it.
0: Yes. So Howard, I don't want to take up too much more of your time. It is a Sunday and I don't know if you're where you are, you're under quarantine. I'm not so sure I whether I, in New York the I still have quarantine. So I have to try to not Well at least you're, you're in New York. Oh, you got your you got oh, your curfew you. lifted, right? Curf- well, I'm not so sure off? with this, you know. That might be a trick from the man. Like, hey, exactly. Let's set a trap so we can watch them get their asses kicked again. Yes. Exactly. We're gonna attempt the purge, out Here, you know those movies make a big hit, you know. Oh and I always god, movies, like oh god. It. It's just like someone is putting these movies out because they believe and they want this thing to happen. So the purge. I don't want. I don't want to be part of the purge. I want to live. You know, just to see <laughs> Naomi grab some old um, wigs out here. Um, but you know, so thank you very much for coming on. I think. Oh, it's my
3: pleasure. This has
1: been great.
0: It's yes. Fun. This is going to um, be.
1: Howard, anything else yeah. coming up for you? For you? Um, any books? Anything? Well, should... uh, let's see. What am I doing?
0: I'm... But you're under quarantine, Howard. So you should be writing. I'm just saying. I exactly. <laughs> I tell people all the time. I'm
3: like, you know what? I'm like, I got to tell you. My life hasn't really changed that much outside of, outside of like not going outside that much and not getting on an airplane of like, I'm sitting in the same spot. I usually sit in. Okay. I haven't, I've gotten gas once since February. That's once? Like once. Wow. Once, wow. You know? But everything else. No, I'm working on a biography of Ricky Henderson, which has been a lot of fun. Uh, do a little baseball bio. I have been approached on a couple of different, um, Times to write a tennis book, Ooh. Um, and I have completely resisted it. Now, um, do, do you want us to ask
1: our audience to give you some suggestions of a book they? What
3: would you exactly? If there was a tennis book out there, what did you want to read? I would love that because
0: you know I have think- one. <laughs> it Real, is. Do you one. think? Do you think? Um, do you think? How do you think tennis would have changed had the Black Tennis Player Association mm-hmm. maintained itself? That tennis wasn't integrated though people don't want to think it it became integrated that tennis integrated as a baseball yeah what would have been the face of tennis if if tennis players if we kept yeah, the black uh, tennis circuit continued? I talked
3: to art about this and art was telling me art was like you know he's like you know why it is because I love art you get a you get a black man in his 70s he has opinions <laughs> <laughs> and um <Yeah. laughs> you know he was he was like well you know why we have open tennis right? I'm like, why? He's like, because, man, these whiteys didn't want us in their private clubs. Why do you think we got big stadiums now? He's like, the whole thing was going to get integrated to the point where, you know, the last thing they wanted was for tennis to become a mainstream sport. And if tennis became that much of a mainstream sport, then you had to get into their clubs. And that's why you start building these big old multi-purpose stadiums and stuff or tennis stadiums so you could maintain the country club, private nature of the game while still making money. I'm like, damn, Art.
1: That's smart. That's smart, though, because I think that that was the tension in golf, wasn't it?
3: And that was the tension. He goes, why do you think they left Forest Hills? They didn't leave Forest Hills because the grounds couldn't accommodate it at the time. They left Forest Hills because, you know, it was time. They were like, it was the game. you know. And I I didn't realize this, right? Mm -hmm. The number of private clubs, like they still play at these private clubs in Philadelphia. They still play at these gorgeous, you have been like to the Tennis Hall of Fame. Yeah. I mean, okay, it's $96 an hour to play there.
0: Oh, but, no.
3: Mm. Um, but it is the only public tennis court in the country that's grass. Wow, so you really have to pay to get there. So you got to, <laughs> exactly, right? So whenever I'm in Newport, I'm like, mm, all right, I'll do it. I was like, all right, I'll do it. I'll do it. Because I want to play on, I don't, you know, never played on grass before, so I went and did it. But at 96 bucks an hour, I was like, I'll see you in about five years.
0: One one last question, Howard, and and we can wrap up so you can finally go. Just question: Do you think that because of this moment, and you see the black players or players of color, um, are coming together? Do you think that they should make some much more um solid solidify this movement or this cooperation and create a union of thought and then push for more, um, more of the things that they want to see on tour, which I would eventually, see- of course will mm-hmm. benefit everybody else, right? Because once black people move the needle and say, we want this, it changes the direct trajectory, trajectory for everybody True. else, right? Public education sure. in America, et cetera.
3: Yeah, I, I tend to think the first question is, what do they want? I mean, because if you start looking at the best, you know, the best of the best players who are old enough to vote, you know, you're, you're looking at guy, you know, Venus and Serena and they're on the, on the other side of it. I always worry about Francis because he's, you know, he's in the ATP and the, the, the USTA men. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm waiting to see when he's 40, what his memoir is going to read like being around those guys. Cause it's not necessarily sort of an environment where do you feel like you're in a place where you can ask for things? I mean, Tiafo is, what is he 33 in the world or 34? He's in the mid thirties right now, somewhere in there. So um, I, I think that, I would prefer it stay quiet for now. I hope that they are networking behind the scenes, and I hope they are creating. I hope they're creating something where they all pay it forward to each other, yeah. um, where you know, where they start looking because it is interesting. When I was in high school, you know, there was Mal Washington, and then there was no longer Mal Washington, and then that was it mm-hmm. until you started to see Sanga in Monfils. And I was like, oh, okay. James, so when I'm,
0: you saw James. And,
3: and James Blake, absolutely. And then you see James Blake. And then I remember one time when I saw James Blake, I was like, where did he come from, right? It was, so it's like it's like one of those things where you're hoping that that chain, these guys take care of each other, they start building. And so it's interesting to see, you know, to to see, uh, you know, Shonda Rubin on the air, you know, yeah. it's interesting to see, you know like even in that video I was like, Oh look, Zeta Garrison, oh, Laurie yeah. ah. oh, you know, there's a <laughs> the reunion there people, right? And exactly. <laughs> those
0: people have a wealth of knowledge that I think they they have something to, exactly.
3: They got something to offer. Hundred percent. Well you know 100%. what T- TFO is eighty one in the world. Is
1: he
2: really? hmm Oh shit. I wanted
1: they kept. Gone. I
0: wanted they kept counting for him and not for Nole, right? <laughs> if they didn't, if they were like dropping out points. Damn, Francis well, no. is eighty. He had, frozen. he had a rough patch last year. He had a Everyone's, patch frozen. Patch. Yeah, that's
1: Everyone's frozen. Yeah, that's his rank. Everyone's
0: Frozen. Yeah.
1: So that is um rank eighty-one. His career high was twenty-nine. It Was twenty-nine. That's what I was. I was
3: just sort of remembering him because yeah. I remember thinking about what that Olympic cut was going to be. I thought he was inside of top fifty.
0: Yeah, I mean,
3: and, so, you know, everybody gets the do-over now.
0: <laughs> let get the do-over. 2001, boo, 2001. You're going to carry that flag for America. Well, the yeah. one
3: thing I'm actually happy about right now when we were talking about sort of those 2021, 20, sorry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, those stereotypes is that Francis hasn't gotten socked with that yet, that underachiever no. label yet. No. He hasn't gotten it. And you know who's really interesting? Hasn't gotten it even though he deserves it, and instead they've moved him into... He's the greatest doubles player in the world, which I don't know where that came from. Is Jack Sock? Oh, okay. Um, if you watch, you watch Tennis Channel, they con- they constantly refer to him as the greatest doubles player in the world. Yeah, I, mean, I know. I felt like they got. I felt like, <laughs> got, no, we, I felt like they got
0: that's, like. A that's a moment for me to end, so that I don't get, you know, I don't get in <laughs> trouble, and I don't <laughs> get trouble. We we'll so, leave, no, leave, leave we that. Do, people. We do want that is a lie. That is a lie, <laughs> lie straight from hell. And what it's not true. Will, no, it's not
1: true, but it's also really weird because there was a certain period in time when that was almost like a script. I was like, "Where did this come
3: See, from?" I'm like, "Who put that in there?" I'm like, and I, to the point where, to the point where, when I was watching Labor Cup once, I had to go look and look at the doubles rankings. I'm like, "Did I miss something?" Cause
0: like, <laughs> <laughs> because the, the truth of the map, because how are you gonna, how are you gonna really, what else? Because I think it's because Jack Sock has fallen off so low. That Vasek Pospisil is winning singles matches. And Jack,
1: Jack, Jack Sock is, Jack, can't Jack, even Jack do is that. ranked 389. Exactly. In singles, right? Did singles so you, and 126 in doubles. So I'm not sure how he's the best
0: double player in the world. But you have but, to say something, you know, you have to say something in order to pull him into the conversation, right? Because he well, shouldn't because be anywhere near tennis court. He's Wait, not even well, in the sheep.
1: You could just say they're just. You could just say they're American players. I don't need this, I don't need players. you to set, s- blow smoke up my bum. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah.
0: You could just say
1: American <laughs> players. You don't have to create yeah, a whole man. narrative.
0: Because exactly. because you know they bypass a whole bunch of people, right? Scoville Jenkins, <laughs> the other players. I'm sure who are players <laughs> of color, not necessarily from black players, who probably should have been there. Mackenzie, uh, Malcolm, mm-hmm. is it Malcolm? Mackenzie should be there. Um, I mean, how
3: are you going to call him the best doubles player in the world when Roger Federer and Rafael Nadal are actually playing tennis? If they play doubles, they'd be the best doubles players in the world because they're both <laughs> excellent doubles players. Both of them Love. are phenomenal doubles players.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, here, but you got to think. And did the Bryan brothers really retire already? I thought they were still playing. Right. But, it's, you know. It is
3: interesting, right? Like it, it is. It's just. But once again, I mean, that's the that's the thing. I think the. I'm looking forward to a couple of things, and then I will let you all go. I'm looking forward to just seeing if you do get that ATP-WTA sort of merger, which is what it should be, um, and that they actually do try to defend each other and sort of recognize. I mean, I think that the the when I covered whatever Wimbledon I was at, I can't remember which year it was, but you could really see the fractures in there when jill simone did his thing and he was carrying water for all the men about how much deep down they really don't even want the women there i'm hoping that this shutdown sort of reminds them that your sport is the only sport in the world really where you can actually achieve something in terms of gender that the other sports can't do right i mean you actually have something here like when i go to a major i'm going to see everybody yep (laughs) and you've got something here that nobody else has don't mess it up it's something really valuable
0: no.
1: That's a good point. I think it's a very good point and I think it's a great way to end. I, I believe in those possibilities. I love the joint tournament. I love going to a tournament and being able to like, Oh, I want to see women do this. Okay, let me go to uh-huh. the match. Let me go uh-huh. you know, I like to see that. That's a nice, um it's a nice gift. Not to say that I don't I mean, I, I follow the ATP and I enjoy that as well. I enjoy either of them, but it is nice yep. if you can play, pay your money and go and get a smorgasbord. So now,
3: there's no other ticket in the in sports where you get more value. Than a grounds pass in the first week of a major. Oh, it's so You so, get, I mean, Amy and other sport, you get that much talent. You know, maybe going to the Olympics for a day. That might be.
0: Something yeah, something. that might be it. But but then, you, but, it, then you, right? but then you have to travel all over the place to go because <laughs> swimming isn't happening in way near the gymnastics, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right? You gotta travel across. You know, you wanna do that canoe? You know, ooh, you gotta go up in the mountains for that. So. Oh mm-hmm. well, yeah, like really, when I was thing.
3: in Vancouver, if I. I was on sliding sports. So I had to go to Whistler. So I was two I was north of Vancouver because I had yep. skiing, I had luge, and I had bobsled. And then when I wanted to come in to go do speed skating and stuff, where I saw Shawnee Davis, uh, you had to come into Vancouver. So that was two and a half hours. So you had to do that on, on different days. You couldn't do it in the same day. Yeah. Never mind being on the same grounds.
0: Get me a Biathlon Connect and I will be so happy, you know, so I can go watch biathlon in person. I'll be so happy. But let's not keep each other here. Thank you, folks. for We're back, folks. We're glad that we're able to put out another exciting episode for you. Let's thank Howard. You can hit him up on Twitter, if I'm not mistaken. It's at Hbryant42. That is
3: me. Okay.
0: Mm-hmm. And it's Bryant with a T. And, and you can find us where you want. You can, you know... Send crazy DMs if you want to And tell us <laughs> all we're horrible But we know you really love us And don't forget if you don't want to give us credit Give us the check So thank you Howard for being here again you know. Thank you it's
3: my pleasure thank you so much
0: See y'all Bye Bye. And so uh, we also don't have to put out a Black Lives Matter Statement because we're all black And we know we're matter And we don't. so the truth I love you